This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Jordan from Smallville, Batcat Shipper. This is episode 168. My name is Tim. I'll be hosting this episode, but joining me, as always, is Dane. Dane, how's it going? It's going good, Tim. Uh, my throat is a little sore, Uh-oh. but uh, <laughs> uh, I, sh- I, I, I should be good, Tim. We'll keep the talking to a minimum, I guess, for this yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not going to talk during this episode, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Zane, and having your ears be a part of this episode. So. <laughs> Not your voice. <laughs> well, you have done podcasts by yourself, Tim. So that I, is true. Uh, you are experienced in this. <laughs> <laughs> it's not much experience I like to have, though. Yeah, talking to yourself like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, but you potentially have some good news coming up, Dane, in regards to or your baseball team. So <laughs> I know it was yeah. a disappointing ending, but hopefully some good off season news. I mean, I was surprised when I heard it, but yeah, Oakland might actually get a new stadium. I'm, I was shocked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this is the Howard terminal area. It's right by, um, uh, is the, what's the bay called Tim? Uh, that I don't remember. Bay? Yeah. Um, but it's actually considered that part. Like, Oh yeah, I have no idea, but um, it's right. It's 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 right in the bay there. Um, so what they're going to do is they're going to build a new stadium at this uh, Howard Terminal property, and they're going to redevelop the ground that the Coliseum is on. So they're going to tear down the Coliseum finally. <laughs> <laughs> they and, should technically um, blow it up, but <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, they're gonna build you know shopping centers affordable housing baseball fields stuff like that to help fund or at least make the uh new stadium more affordable uh to make it worth it right mm-hmm. um but in doing that it, i mean we talk, we have to talk about this every single time we talk about the a's and their their stadium problems <laughs> right um they have to get permission to 
buy or rent the or lease sorry the land um the howard it's always terminal. the biggest hurdle it seems like yeah the howard terminal land it's currently owned by a i'm not i think it's a steel importer i'm not sure um, okay. but it is storage for a steel company um so they're gonna have to get through that come to an agreement with that and then get permission from um the city to build there and stuff so <laughs> not quite there and they have to buy the coliseum and the land around it that stinks they have to do that I mean, yeah. just to afford to buy a new stadium they just can't leave and look for a new location but they have to yeah. kind of do stuff with that because i was kind of confused i remember asking sending you a text like hey i saw is oakland getting a new stadium is it like a done deal because watching some of the baseball shows it said Oakland announces plans for new stadium to open in 2023. That makes it sound like, oh, it's a done deal. It's going to happen. They'll probably yeah. start working on it. But then when I actually hear stuff, I was like, oh, it's not totally a done deal yet. They no. got to overcome these hurdles, like you said. So I was kind of like, yet. I was yeah. really hopeful and excited for you when I first heard it. Like, oh, they did it. But it's like, oh, wait, <laughs> it's potential. Yeah. So it's pretty much buying the, because they don't own the Coliseum. The city of Oakland owns the Coliseum and the land around it. Mm. So they would have to buy it. Uh, buy the land and buy it out of debt <laughs> most importantly um, so they can you know re redo the land make the affordable housing the shopping centers the uh, the baseball fields um, and then on top of that they would have to deal with the private companies that own the Howard terminal land come to an agreement lease own um, go to the city with that project, get approval from them, then start building. Jeez. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, 20... it, it's not a Yankee Stadium situation where they own the own the land already, and they can just build on it and tear down the old one, redevelop it. Right. Mm. So <laughs> <laughs> it's really complicated. It's a it's going to be a long process. Um, I gotta say though. 2023 doesn't sound like too far off when you consider all that stuff they have to do just to get it like off the ground. So yeah. hopefully if it all goes to plan, 2023 shouldn't be too bad. Yeah. But then now we get to the controversy, right? Um, the city of Oakland is in a very rich city. Um, and like I said, they, <laughs> they, it's like they're trying to work with the A's, but they're trying to work against the A's. Um, and the A's need taxpayer money to either buy buy the land, I think. Yeah, I think it's to buy the land, right? And it's where it gets all controversial. And, you know, as a... I don't live in Oakland. I'm not a taxpayer in Oakland. So, mm. you know, I totally understand why they wouldn't want to be paying for that you know sure but, yeah. but, but but on the same the, the the same point i guess it would be this is why you know the the warriors and the um raiders are leaving oakland right oh really the warriors are leaving oakland too yeah they're going to san francisco oh i didn't hear that because there's no basketball team <laughs> in uh in san francisco but um, and they're like the premier team oh, yeah, <laughs> of the, basketball. The, the so. big NBA team, man. Yeah. 
so w while I can say, you know, this is why the, the Raiders are moving to Las Vegas and the Warriors are moving to San Francisco, um, I can understand why your regular taxpayer wouldn't want to be paying for this, right? Because it, the money could go someplace else. So I, I, I totally understand that. And, you know, uh, um, I pose no argument to that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Um, but, I, you know, I hope this works out. You know, after that Peralta college... I don't know what that was—a misunderstanding yeah. <laughs> or something. Because that was a way I was weird. <laughs> yeah, that was weird because they said they could build, and then the owners of the college, I think, the board members of the college, said to cut off contact with Major League Baseball and the A's. So that doesn't make sense, but okay, whatever. Um, so hopefully this all works out. The A's get the smallest stadium in Major League Baseball. <laughs> hey, it will be. Long as it's new. That's all that matters. I think, think 36,000. Yeah, but yeah. even that concept drawing they had of it, you could tell it's, it, looks it, looks like a, it looks like a spring training like yeah, ballpark. Yeah, especially <laughs> in the outfield. Yeah. Uh, outfield uh -huh. stands. But apparently those, arch, those big arches in the... Uh, kind of in the background of the um of the outfield that that's apparently high-rise buildings um apartments so at least it'll look nice yeah hey that's the most important thing got a stadium that looks nice where it's uh plumbing works yeah. <laughs> Those hopefully. Are the necessities. hopefully they get the plumbing right <laughs> because apparently this has been a problem for a long time yep <laughs> If you're a player and you just got to hold it in. Yeah, just hold <laughs> it in until you get home. <laughs> well, Dane, my goal is that hopefully we're still podcasting when Oakland gets a new stadium. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have a big episode and a party. <laughs> yeah. And this is pretty much the last, the, the, the sort of last, last plan that they have. Mm -hmm. This is plan Z, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, because there's pretty much no other place to go in Oakland. It's either this or try to re re or update the the Coliseum. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the ongoing saga of Oakland and their new stadium continues. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to make a great movie one day once they get a move uh, their new stadium. <laughs> yeah, Moneyball too. Yeah, the, I was going to say the sequel to Moneyball. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> but anyway, well, I think someone who's, you know, just as Oakland is trying to get out of the Coliseum, yeah. Bruce Wayne is trying to get out of the pit in the Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> where we're at in our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. Okay, so he's never getting out then. Yeah. <laughs> At least for this episode, he might not. <laughs> we or or it, it looks like he's going to get out and then all of a sudden he's not uh, the next day. You know what? <laughs> It is paralleling that because it's like we talked about Oakland tried to get, you know, new stadiums in different areas before. Bruce tried to make the jump several times in the movie and didn't make it. So hopefully this is a good sign where we're at the point in the film where he's going to make the jump. And we're talking about potentially Oakland finding a spot to get into a new stadium. So hopefully, you know, it's a good sign of things to come for Oakland. <laughs> That's a great segue, Tim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes it just works out that way. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, we could 
get your Dark Knight Rises minute by minute. Uh, well, I shouldn't. You don't have a minute by minute copy. You just have a regular Dark Knight Rises copy. <laughs> but you can get your copy of it on all these relevant media formats, whether it's VHS, DVD, Laserdisc, HD DVD, your Betamax tape, your Blockbuster membership card, your Netflix physical media, and our favorite your vhs to dvd converter drive so we're going to be on the 116th minute or the hour and 56 uh, point on the film so i'll give the countdown and we'll see if bruce wayne makes the jump are you ready Dan? <laughs> yeah i'm ready all right three two one as he looks up in the sky everyone's chanting i mean you should make one of these videos like well, I still gotta say, great moment when those bats fly out right there. <laughs> that got a big cheer always off for the first time in the movie. <laughs> I was gonna say those funny videos where people post like superimpose something on the head of a character. You could actually put the Oakland logo on Bruce's head <laughs> as he oh, makes the joke. If, if that's the case, he's not making it <laughs> as of right now. He goes, or sorry, he's negotiating yeah. with that, that old man. <laughs> He made it, Dane. So I think oh, if this okay. is going to work. Oakland's getting the stadium. <laughs> he's out. Yep. He sees the sunlight. He throws down the rope. Not ropes for all Oakland fans. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think this is a sign of good things to come, Dane. We got out of this whole sequence of Bruce making the pit in this episode. No, so hopefully, hopefully, Tim. <laughs> So if everything works out, the deal goes through, Oakland gets the stadium, you have this minute in this episode of The Dark Knight Rises minute by minute yeah. <laughs> commentary. Yeah, I can look back fondly. <laughs> yes. Um, so make note, episode but, 168. But before we get to our featured topic, um, I got to ask you about Red Dead 2. Mm. Uh, where are you? I was really hoping I could be on this episode saying I beat it. I'm but, close. Last <laughs> night... I just finished the main story and okay, I'm starting okay, wait, the first wait. epilogue. Um, uh, spoiler alert for everybody. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was playing Red Dead Redemption 2 right now. Yes, major spoiler. Yeah. And, and Tim? Man, uh, I'm anxious to play those epilogues because I want to see how this is all wrapped up. But it was a really great conclusion to right now, anyway, the main story. Yeah. I mean, it kind of played out how I expected it to where we all knew like I Michael was a traitor and right, the rat yeah. I can't stand that guy. <laughs> yeah, me neither. The first time I met him, yeah. you know, in the in the wilderness, it was like, yeah, I don't like this guy. <laughs> then even busting him out of that jail. Oh, he was yeah. in town of strawberry and he caused yeah. all that ruckus. Like, uh, <laughs> right. But man, I just love how I mean what's great about the game is you start off with you know, you the gang that you're in, it is like your family and you come as you play through the game, you do missions with different characters, even just talking to them in the camp, you get to know them and, you know, you get close with these characters who are Arthur's family in the game. And it really sucks when some of them either die. And then by the time we get to the final chapter in six, some just straight up leave and you don't see them anymore. And just a great narrative of how this family got torn apart and just all the hardships they went through and everything not working out for them. Some of it um, mainly because of Dutch's own doing and, how things played out is really, you know, it really sucked to see at the end where that camp is empty and there's only a few left. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's only the pretty much only the people in red dead redemption one. Yeah. Right. That's okay. the other thing. 
I really loved how it's leading in real nicely mm. to the first Red Dead game where it starts planting the seeds, you know, like sides being drawn within the gang. You like you got yeah. like Arthur Arthur's side where he's questioning Dutch's, you know, leadership. You got John joining him, and other characters like Charles, but then the characters who you go after in the first Red Dead game, like uh that guy Bill Jameson was it, I think. And Javier. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Like they're siding with Dutch and like, hey, you guys aren't being loyal. And what happened to loyalty? Like, you know, okay, I decided to see where this is going. So this is great lead up to that. And just even what happened to John Marston and how, you know, you can understand why he would want to go after Dutch and would do that. Because at the beginning of the game, I was wondering, man, what's going to make him really, you know, go after his former gang here? Because they're all seem really close. And like I said, almost like a family, but it played out nicely as far as it making total sense. And you would understand where he's come from. So yeah, you see, yeah. I actually thought that John was the um, um, the sort of mole in um, Dutch's gang that mm. was working with the Pinkertons. Uh-huh. Um, it's like that could make sense, but then yeah. I'd have a hard time rooting for him in right, the, right. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, it, it kind of made sense after that. Like, oh no, it's not John. It's um, it's uh, Micah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah really really great stuff with the story and i was gonna say something about that last chapter now drawing a blank but <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of stuff well, that went down <laughs> well tim I'll, I'll ask you did um you know in that final climax on that mountain mm-hmm. did you decide to go after the treasure or did you go up uh help uh john escape no i definitely went with john yeah me too, <laughs> me too. i couldn't like, how could you go after the money after everything that went down helping his yeah. wife and son <laughs> then you're gonna go after that money but now well, i'm curious but, what happens yeah. when you go after that money yeah me too have to look maybe up, you can look it up on YouTube. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um i I totally forgot what I was going to say about yeah. <laughs> Oh, just, um, so much you, stuff to try to remember yeah. all that happened in the final stages of the game. Well, what I really liked was um, how they introduced uh, Arthur's tuberculosis yeah. mm. diagnosis. Because like, I, it, it, it's weird because you would see him coughing, but you think it was just part of the acting. Yeah, you know, to make it more real, real natural. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, right. And then all of a sudden, it becomes this big thing when you get to Saint Denis, and then you get the diagnosis that you have tuberculosis. And I was like, "Oh, you right? You die from tuberculosis." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is like the 1899, so mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a death sentence for you. And it was great how they even tied it back to one of your earlier missions where you're trying to get that money. Uh, that German guy Strauss loaned out uh, like the first person you go to I either the first or the second but when you go to him that's where you get it where you, he's sick with tuberculosis and you're trying to get the money I believe oh, he coughs right. yeah yeah and, and uh, uh, so speaking of uh, Strauss um, did you uh, you see I'm blanking on the name it's it's a uh, it's by the it's the seaside town but uh, you, you know where you you kill the Pinkerton agents, or Dutch kills the Pinkerton agents. That town, mm-hmm. what is that town yeah. called? I forget. Um, like Scarlet or something. Valentine or no, not Valentine. Um, strawberry. No, not strawberry. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the time. Dang, Sand- I forget. Strawberry. There's roads. No, not roads. Uh, it's kind of by the ocean. It's um, there's a rail line going through it. 
there's nothing in there. Uh, okay, well, that's where you kind of start off in the beginning of chapter six. Yeah, the, yeah. I think chapter five. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember the name of that one either, because like I said, there's hardly anything that shouldn't really be considered a town. <laughs> but, yeah, right, right. Um, but there is another connection to that the um the the Strauss side missions there. I don't know if you noticed it. The woman. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, yeah. Where you try and to then, help her and her son out who's in the mines. No, no, uh, it's 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 a different one. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, you just oh, come yeah. Pass her, yeah. Where um, where you just knock on her door and then she has her son. Yeah, and, and it's, like it, you kind it's of obvious you, what she's doing to make money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that broke my heart. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like, oh no, I'm a that's terrible what I, person. <laughs> it was great at the end where you just kick Strauss out of the game. Yeah. <laughs> you just go like, no more. This is it. <laughs> like we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah, and there there is the army deserter. Um, I don't know if you came across that one, but uh, the army deserter and his um, his he owes Strauss money, or he yeah he, he owes Strauss money, and then um, the the army attacks you because he's a deserter. And then you can, mm. you, you can either help him or uh, take the money. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you got to help him. <laughs> yeah, you got to help him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you finally beat the main story, Tim. Um, yeah. Now, how long are the epilogues? Cause it's I, long. I, I, it's, I was going to say, yeah. looking at the progress section in the menu, I'm still at 80%. Yeah, what, what uh, part are you on in the, in the epilogue? I just started. I did the first thing where you're on, again, spoilers if you yeah. beat the game, uh, where you're John on the wagon with his family. He goes to get that job at that ranch. Yeah. So it's, it's a, that quick little thing where these two people steal the wagon of the goods you're delivering. I just yeah. got that wagon back, and then that, that was it. I Once it started, like, the next day, I turned it off because it was pretty late, but because yeah. I was, like, a good point to start. Well, it gets... Uh, I'm just going to warn you, it gets a little bit slow because you're doing a lot of farm work. Kind of like but, the end of the first Red Dead when John goes back to his family and you're doing yeah, all those yeah. chores and teaching your son different things. It, it, exactly like that. That's what it is. But then it picks up and then you, mm. you really find out what happens. And then you have a, uh, a 35, 40 minutes worth of credits. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, it's is it really just long. credits or is there like background images there, or... <laughs> there's there's um it wraps everything up. You find okay. out what happens to everybody. Okay, great. Um now I'm not gonna say what this is because I don't want you to give me any hints if it's gonna happen or not. Okay. But I have an idea in my head that I want to happen. Okay. But I'm not sure it's gonna be if it's gonna play out. But I think it'd be pretty cool. But for, I'll for let you the, know for the ending? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I'll let you know what that idea is after I beat it. <laughs> Oh, oh, I, I, I thought you were going to tell me right now. Because I don't want you to give me any hints as far no, as, like, I your won't. reaction. <laughs> I won't, I won't. Here, I'll, I'll mute my mic while you go. Okay. Okay. So here's my hope that I think would be pretty cool, is that, you know, Arthur looked like he's dead on the mountain, but they didn't definitively say that. And there, there's some way, hopefully, they, where he could survive his tuberculosis. He was with that, that German family, picked him up, in one of the last sequences before you start the last mission. Oh, who knows what they did? Maybe they had some type of medicine that can cure him and it kicks in later. Anyway, regardless how it happens, I hope Arthur survives. 
And then later you find out that it picks up or shows after the what happens to John in the first Red Dead Redemption where he gets killed, where Jack goes to find Arthur, John's son Jack goes to find Arthur, and he's kind of the one who shows him the ropes of how to become a gunslinger like him and John used to be, and he's kind of like becomes Jack's mentor, and then Jack goes out uh, to kill the law officer who killed John Marston. And I think that'd be a cool narrative to have. But again, not sure if that's going to happen, but as I'm playing the game and see how close John and Arthur are, and even Arthur became close to John's family, Abigail and his son Jack, I think it'd be a cooler Jack seeks them out after his after John dies, and he kind of takes them under his wing and trains them to be a gunslinger like they were. I think that'd be really cool. So not sure if it's going to happen, but I'd like to see that. And Dane, don't say anything. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> um, but, you know, going back to uh, Red Dead Redemption 1, it, it, it's it's weird because, you know, the whole thing is John is trying to, you know, do this one last thing so that he can live his life away from that lifestyle, right? <laughs> and then it doesn't work in the end because Jack becomes exactly like him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. I just thought that was sad. I know. It's, <laughs> that was a, such a good story. It's a sad story, but it's yeah. so beautifully told. <laughs> and, um, I don't know if you saw, saw my tweets like last week, a few weeks ago, where Red Dead's got me on like a Western film kick where I wanted oh, really? to see some classic <laughs> Westerns. Because I'm not a Westerns guy. I've hardly seen any movies, but Red Dead's so good. <laughs> it just makes yeah. me want to get see more stories in this time period. So I've seen films like... Um, tombstone unforgiven i've seen the first of the clint eastwood man with no name movies a fistful of dollars probably watched the other two this weekend but i've been enjoying enjoying those two and just been in you know like i said a western kick <laughs> and all this cowboy stuff the next to red dead because it's just so so good i remember what i was going to ask you tim um did, did you expect to leave the united states no that was a surprise <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i was so, like oh man I, I thought it was done really well because I was yeah. worried that is it going to be such a big change and shift to the game where like everything I did doesn't matter where I'm not going to go back to the mainland where we played the first half and the rest is yeah. going to be on this island. I was worried about that, but it was just the right amount of length of yeah, where you're stuck on that island. It's enough to get an idea of what's going on there and then you're out of there. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, I thought that was... It was a cool little diversion, and like I said, a perfect length. It didn't drag out too much. It was just perfect. Yeah. You got to spend a few more times with other members of your gang and go through some pretty nasty stuff. But yeah, it was it was pretty cool. And they tried to recreate you going to Mexico um, mm. in the first game. <laughs> you know, in this one, you you're pretty much going across the entire map to uh, find the the gang again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so man, this is really good. After the slow start and not blowing me away right away, <laughs> like the first few hours I played it, it really delivered. I mean, uh, it's just a great experience <laughs> playing a game like that, just where you just yeah. really get invested into the characters and you know the world that you're in. Yeah, it's just phenomenal, man. Now, after I beat the epilogues there's a whole online component that just got released a few days ago <laughs> as we're recording this episode. And that's like almost a game in itself. So that should be pretty fun, but I'm probably 
you know, it's taken me just about a little over a month to beat it, which is working yeah. out perfectly because, like I said, I wanted to beat this before the next Smash Brothers games comes out. That comes out next week, and I think oh, I'll have good. the epilogue to beat by then, hopefully yeah. tonight. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, been... it's it's a it's a great game. It's incredibly sad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I can't make more of a point than that. It's so sad. And I'd say even playing, I'm like, I know this is gonna have a a sad and bad outcome for most of these characters, especially yeah. the main character, Arthur. So, not a huge surprise there, but you still get so invested into it. It's still kind of hard to see the things play out the way they did. Yeah, yeah, especially um, after you come back from uh, uh, the uh, nearby Cuban isle- islands or yeah. whatever they're called. <laughs> um, that's when the story picked up for me where I was totally invested in it. And I was like... You know, okay, Dutch is really going crazy, and it's like, yeah. you know what? It's, that's enough already, Dutch. <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you can't do worse than that, and then he does worse than that. <laughs> yeah, but the whole the, everything with the Native Americans and the, oh yeah, the father yeah. and son, yeah, <laughs> that was really sad. Uh, his son ends up dying, and you know they About, they get kicked off their or they have to leave their land yeah. again. Uh, I gotta say that was that was probably one of the most fun missions though. <laughs> Storming that oh, the you know, oil factory with yeah, or the factory yeah. with with your horses. It was just really fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was another thing too, man. I was bummed on that last mission where a horse got shot. Like, oh. no, <laughs> almost had me gl- in tears, Tim. Yeah, I was glad too that this wasn't. Oh, the horses got shot, and I just move on because I had to. I like how yeah. Arthur goes back and like kind of cries over to says thank you. I thought that was a really yeah, nice yeah. touch kind of easing it as it passed away i was like oh no <laughs> so yeah just great all around and again yeah. can't wait to see what happens in those epilogues and i'll definitely let you know i'll <laughs> give my reaction on our next episode too <laughs> well I'll, i will just say tim no spoilers at all it is a happy ending interesting yeah interesting interesting it's a, <laughs> okay it's a happy ending but the, the, you, have it there. The it, yeah. you have to happy watch the Happy ending credits. with a butt. Yeah. <laughs> with a butt, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, never mind. But being still on the topic of video games, we're going to go into our feature topic, which is going to be our top five favorite video game soundtracks as we continue on some of our music theme discussions. As a few episodes ago, we talked about our favorite movie soundtracks. And we mentioned there how we wanted to do more of that, whether it was video games, TV shows. So. We'll continue it with video game soundtracks. So, man, this one is pretty tough. For, <laughs> maybe a little more than the movie soundtracks because I love video game music. It's, you know, one of my favorite types of music, especially in the older days. I've said before, I love the old 8-bit, 16-bit style of soundtracks. And even like the PlayStation 64 before everything became, you know, orchestra and it's just the same thing as a movie soundtrack i always liked it how there's been there's distinctive video game music styles and sounds that i've always associated with video games now it's kind of become a little generic but even though i know there's some great modern scores but fair warning all my picks are going to be mostly the old school variety (laughs) because that's what i think those games really capture the video game feel and i have a feeling our lists are going to be totally different day (laughs) i would be shocked if we kind of have the same ones on here but um yeah, yeah it's a good i'm sorry go ahead oh no i was just gonna uh, i was just gonna say yeah because i not really a fan of video game music i don't know I, I i just feel like it's a i mean when it's done right it's great but 
I feel like most of the time it's an afterthought. Mm. Yeah. That can be. With, with as many games as out there, I'm sure there's plenty of examples where they just had to hurry up and get a soundtrack out there <laughs> just to uh, put with the game. Yeah. But there's tons of classics on there and like legendary composers as well. So I'll, I'll be mentioning those as I give my list. So I have a top five and also some honorable mentions I'll uh, be sure to give out afterwards. But um, my number five pick, I'm going to go with the first Sonic the Hedgehog game and that soundtrack. Because this one is a game, probably the first one I played where I really noticed a jump in quality in the music. Of course, going from an NES to a Sega Genesis. I had a Sega Genesis before I had a Super Nintendo. So, And Sonic was the first game I got. And I remember just being blown away by how big of improvement the graphics and the sound was with the music and what's great about the sonic the hedgehog soundtrack is that every stage has a great theme and it just captures that era of video game music perfectly and just memorable themes that you know still i love listening to today and make there's been great remixes i mean the first one is the greatest sonic theme ever and one of my favorite video game pieces of music ever the green hill zone theme it's just such a great catchy main melodic riff that happens throughout it and then but it continues on the marble zone is such a great theme and then you got you know the the final stage and the boss battle music with dr robotnik all the levels on there have just great soundtracks that fit the levels that you're playing with too it's just like a great you know comp like they complement the visuals and the sounds complement each other really well in this game where they just go together perfectly so it's almost the perfect platformer soundtrack and I just remember blowing me away the first time I've heard it. So, and the composer for that one was Masato Nakamura, and they continued on with the other games. Sonic Two had some good songs, and as of course this is the game series moved on in the Sega Genesis era, but none of them are ever going to top that first Sonic the Hedgehog soundtrack. It's just perfect. <laughs> I mean, like I said, every single stage has a great track that are different from each other, but captures that. Um, stage you're playing perfectly so number five is Sonic the Hedgehog for me you see I'm sort of scraping the bottom Tim I'm just trying to like or I was just trying to think of like memorable soundtracks but uh, for my number five it's going to be the the Elder Scrolls uh, series in general Mm -hmm. because they have a way of giving you the 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 ambiance of being in the world you know you hear the birds chirping you hear the wind you hear the trees you hear you know whatever else right but then Mm -hmm. they sort of integrate that with a subtle soundtrack um as you're walking to your next quest or whatever right Mm -hmm. um kind of like red dead redemption too how there's pretty much no music um and then they they subtly sort of introduce it as you're riding your horse or you're you know doing whatever right mm, um, or a big it, a big event happens yeah <laughs> so yeah and then the, kick in. yeah and then the music is going full blast right so yeah probably the the elder scrolls series in general um how they just how they can sort of slightly introduce you know hints of music here and there so you know when you're traveling along these long planes of you know the map you're not totally bored yeah <laughs> so i guess it's one of those like subtle soundtracks that just immerses you into it like subtly where it doesn't like no like major themes jump out at you but yeah it's not hitting fits. you over the head mm-hmm. with it you know so yeah gotcha 
Cool. Well, my number four pick is still going to be in that 16-bit era, but different type of game. This is going to be Street Fighter 2 by Yoko Shimomura and Iso Abe. Hopefully I'm pronouncing these names right, but I want to make sure I give the composers recognitions on my list because I just love their work so much. And Street Fighter 2, we've talked about this before when we're talking about uh, Street Fighter games, but man, that this is another almost perfect soundtrack for the type of game that it has because um, when you're playing fighting games, I don't think you might necessarily not necessarily think music is a big important feature for them but and of course it's not the fighting mechanics are but i really like and hope for good soundtracks in fighting games i just think they add to what i enjoy in fighting games and the music can really add to you know a match that you're having with someone and when you're playing a fighting game for especially how much i used to play street fighter 2 as a kid got to have a good soundtrack so you don't get too bored as you're playing it a lot and street fighter Two definitely doesn't have that problem. It's kind of like I was saying in Sonic the Hedgehog, every level you played had the perfect song for it. Street Fighter is the same way for every character and their stage. I mean, talk about some iconic themes. Ryu's theme song is the best of the series, and again, one of my favorite video game pieces of music ever composed. Then you got classics like Guiles and Chun Li's themes is awesome, and then all just every character's. Some are better than others, of course, but I don't think you can say. A character has the bad theme. Each one of them can get stuck in your head very, very easily. And it's definitely a soundtrack that stood the test of time because you hear not just one or two things get reused, but every time there's a new Street Fighter game or a variation of a Street Fighter game, whether it's the Marvel vs. Capcom series or just other versus series, those themes usually pop up in some shape or form for those characters. You'll hear... Right, use theme in most of the, his appearances. Not all of them. Sometimes he gets different themes, but you'll hear his classic theme in there, or, or Guile's and Chun Li's. You'll for a new game, you'll hear hints of it, if not just a full blown remastered or remixed version of it. They're just all that good. So it's just something where you can't really mess with perfection in a way when it comes to these Street Fighter uh, themes and musics. The soundtrack for Street Fighter Two is awesome, and there's even variations from the arcade version the super nintendo versions there's variations of it um where they sound different and i kind of like the this almost kind of like the arrangements of it and just the quality differ a little bit but the main themes and the stuff the melodies that stick with you are always there and it's just great to listen to you haven't got sick of that soundtrack over the course of over 25 years (laughs) i've been playing street fighter so i just keep going back to it and every time i play it i just love hearing those songs they're just classic so yeah definitely got to give props to street fighter 2 and yoko shimamura she's a great video game composer up there's one of the best and i sometimes forget she does street fighter 2 as much as i love it because i always associated her work with the kingdom hearts soundtrack which is also really really great and she's done some other rpgs so can i sometimes don't remember she did street fighter 2 and that's enough to warrant you know a big claim to fame all on its own (laughs) composing those great songs so yeah street fighter 2 is my number four pick did i tell you i almost bought a a switch this past week oh really no (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean that's why i um i asked you if like I, i could play classic games you know, like, mm. let's say I wanted yeah. to play Yeah, you Ocarina never got back to it. I was like, yeah. man, what is this? Like, what is Dane planning here? <laughs> yeah, like, what if I wanted to play the old Zelda games or something? Mm. You know, but 
It doesn't sound like that's what that is. No, but, they just have the classic Nintendo system or Nintendo games on there. Uh, that's unfortunate. But, uh, I I would like to think eventually they because they do port a lot of games that are on the Wii U right now onto the Switch. I would like to think they might do that for even older games because it's just such a nice, convenient thing to have where you can just take it wherever you want. Yeah. <laughs> so I would recommend still getting it, Dane. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, because uh, uh, I was watching a video of Breath of the Wild, and I was mm, like, wow, yeah. that looks really good. It is awesome, yeah. <laughs> it's like almost like Red Dead in that open world just yeah. in the Zelda universe. Is there a, a weather system and a Day and night system? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Um, But I guess that brings me to my next game uh, soundtrack. And that's, um, like I said, Ocarina of Time. Mm. Uh, It's the first time I ever saw a sort of music integrated into the actual gameplay. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the first time that I actually noticed the music in a game. Um. You know, I mean, I guess before that, it was just like that cheap MIDI sound. <laughs> cheap but good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, for me, it's going to be uh, Ocarina of Time. Well, you'll be hearing more from me about Ocarina of Time later. So, <laughs> <laughs> good. But my number three pick is, again, still in that 16-bit era. <laughs> I'm going to be going with Chrono Trigger by Yasunori Masuda. And... And the Chrono series are some of the best RPGs ever. Chrono Trigger is probably my third favorite game of all time. It's one of my favorite RPGs ever. It's just really, really good. A great story, especially for the time. The story was fantastic. The way you can have almost 13 different endings with your characters. Or if some of your characters die, you can progress and finish the game while they're dead (laughs) without reviving them. Just great innovative stuff at the time. But man, the soundtrack... This was an epic score for the Super Nintendo. And especially with the RPGs, I know with Final Fantasy 4, 5, and 6, they've had great scores as well. And especially 6, that's probably one of you know most recognizable and iconic game scores out there, especially for pushing the limits of what the Super Nintendo can do. But and me personally, I felt Chrono Trigger soundtrack just outshine Final Fantasy 6 as far as you know doing probably what you could do the most on the Super Nintendo. There's a great sound quality and great themes throughout. And that's what I think RPGs really need is great themes for the characters that you're going to be playing with and for the different uh, towns and locations you're going to be visiting. The themes play such an important part for me of getting enjoyment and really immersing yourself into a fantasy world. That's what I like, especially in fantasy RPG games. I like things to sound, have that fantasy quality where it's just not a standard orchestral type of music that's playing in the background, but I like to have like different sound varieties and especially in that 16 bit area where you got a lot of, you know, more of that MIDI sound, but in a better quality style of it. And Chrono Trigger had that perfect mix of it where it sounded like orchestra on a 16 bit console. <laughs> if that makes any sense, it's like almost as good as you can get to that quality, but having its own unique sound, is just really great. And man, the character themes, are so good uh the character frog yes it's just frog <laughs> he's a human he was a knight who got turned into a frog but he's a great character in the game and his he has one of the best character themes i think in all the video games and it's it is one that has been done you know in video game concerts been you know there's been orchestra variations done of it and it sounds great that way it's like 
again, going back to where they weren't able to use an orchestra for the console, but he created songs knowing that they would sound great done by an orchestra. And that has proven to be the case is when you hear a lot of the songs that were on the Chrono Trigger soundtrack get done by an orchestra. They just sound phenomenal. It was just such an epic score for an epic game. You know, it was a lengthy game and pretty much all the music you heard through it you took you on that journey and the story you're experiencing. It just helped you get invested with that, I think. And again, having that fan fantasy type feel to it. So yeah, I got to give it to Chrono Trigger for just great character themes and putting on a soundtrack that I don't think was ever heard before during that time for the Super Nintendo, like I said, really pushing the limits of what it can do and just creating that epic score. So yeah, got to give the props to Chrono Trigger and even Chrono Cross on the PlayStation. It's obviously different sound quality. It sounds better. It's a, but again, didn't lose that, you know, fantasy style touch that I like in RPG soundtracks where it still has its own unique quality of sound that's just not orchestra based. So he del- Matsuda delivered both on Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, but I got to give the edge to Chrono Trigger. Did you ever play um, The Legend of Dragoon on um, PlayStation 1? I didn't play it, but I watched my brother play it. (laughs) So I pretty much know the whole story of it. That game was underrated. Yeah. I got to say, I think it was really had a good story. And even the soundtrack on that one was pretty good, too. Yeah. I'm just waiting for it to get a re release or a update or, you know, for the PS4. But I guess it's not going to happen. I know. I'm surprised Sony hasn't done that. They They got to know it has its fan base. They do it for Lunar, like every single console generation. So why can't they do it for Legend of Dragoon? <laughs> I do like Lunar, though. That That yeah. is a good RPG, too. Never finished it, though. I never played the second one. I played the first mm. one. Silver Story Complete or Silver Star Complete? Yeah. See, I'm blanking on the official title right now. But <laughs> like was I said, it, there's so many variations of it. So <laughs> I'm sure there's different titles with those variations, too. Was it a good story? Yeah, I really liked oh, it. Okay. Mm. Um, but... Uh, my next pick is going to be uh, something that I know you're gonna, probably going to talk about, at least the series, mm-hmm. so I'm going to make it quick. Um, and that's uh, Final Fantasy X soundtrack, uh, mm-hmm. specifically the the Piano Collection. I don't know if you've oh, ever okay. heard it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just, for, for some reason, I like the, the piano songs of uh, Final Fantasy games. I guess oh, yeah, you and Matsu... Good you know, composed games, you know, mm-hmm. I, just, I, I don't know. For some reason, I just like, like them. No. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're great. And I haven't heard every single uh, piano collection soundtrack, Yeah, but I've heard different versions of songs from each final fantasy soundtrack done in piano. And they're really good. Do you have a favorite piece for the final um, fantasy 10 soundtrack? Probably the end theme. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's just called end theme. If I remember correctly, okay. but, uh, yeah, if you had to pick one, I'd pick that one. Yeah, I love... It's pretty much the main theme for Final Fantasy X, but it's so great to Xanarkin. It's yeah. just a great theme he came up with. That's, <laughs> that one's just a piano in itself on the main soundtrack of the game. But right, it's just right. a really, really great theme. And yes, Dane, you're right. I will be talking about that <laughs> next. <laughs> really? My second pick is going to be from Final Fantasy. And man... I could just talk about the Final Fantasy series in general regarding its music. I mean, Nobuo Uematsu is a legend. He's like the John Williams of video game soundtracks. I mean, he just outdoes himself each time with 
the scores he did for Final Fantasy. I think he went from 1 to 11. I think 12 he didn't do, and he hasn't done one since. And it misses him, I'm not going to lie there. <laughs> Final Fantasy 15 had a pretty solid score, I will say that, because that was done by, uh, I believe, Yoko Shimomura, who I mentioned earlier. So, um, But and I just love how Nobuo Uematsu, for each game, he changes it up. Each Final Fantasy s- soundtrack has its own sound style, just like a band would change up uh, their music style for each album, but you would know it was them, but it was different. And each Final Fantasy soundtrack is like that. I love how each one has its own distinct sound quality and sound music style to it, but that you know it's a Nobuo Uematsu um, Final Fantasy soundtrack. It's just great. So, But I'm going to just be sticking with one on here, and my number two pick is going to be Final Fantasy VII. To me, this is my favorite Final Fantasy soundtrack, probably my favorite Nobuo Uematsu score. It's just, I just love it so much. And this is, I'm finally getting out of the 16-bit era. I'm going to the PlayStation era and the 32-bit <laughs> music sounds. And man, talk about a big jump from 16-bit to this next generation at that time with the PlayStation and just getting an epic masterpiece of an RPG video game soundtrack. I just love, this one has great variety in it as well. You have some, you know, orchestral style themes with the main final fantasy theme i just love that it's my favorite main theme from a final fantasy game it just uh i think it's it's an emotional piece that you know knowing what happens to certain characters in there it just you know really i think hits you once you get to that open world it's just great once after you finish that mission in the shinra the shinra hit base headquarters you're at that motorcycle chase uh you get out to the open world for the first time then you hear that main theme kick in it's just great i just love it so much but just it kicks off with a bang with the bombing mission piece so that's just a great thing a great kind of action beat piece of music to get the game going on a high level and for the mission you're about to start on but then there's great character themes in there too i mean eris's theme is a classic and boy when it plays when spoiler alert here <laughs> when sephiroth kills her man it's the perfect gut punch musically to get you make you feel even sadder when that moment happens but then you get into you know more you know carnival style type music when you get to uh, forget the name of it but there's that portion of the game where you go um into that area that's like a theme park and then you have the chocobo uh, races and that menu theme song that one always gets stuck in my head but then you got the epics of epics in video game (laughs) music one winged angel i mean that's one of the best pieces of video game music of all time i would say one of the best pieces of music in general i mean limited to the resources he had with the playstation and not having you know to record it with a full orchestra but he got an orchestral sound like never before with that piece of music with one winged angel at you know sephiroth's theme and it plays in the final battle with him even you got the sound there, but then hearing that choir that's uh, doing the vocal arrangements for it, being that all done on the PlayStation, you know, sound hardware just was really, really cool. Just at that time, just never hearing anything like that in a video game before. Like, wow, it doesn't get any more epic than this. And I got to say, a cool memory I have is going to a Final Fantasy concert back in 2011. And it was really cool. I got to do a meet and greet with Nobuo Uematsu and the creator of Final Fantasy, Hinorobu Sakagachi. They were both in attendance. Nobuo <laughs> Uematsu we even played on a few songs. But what was cool on the very last song they did was, was One Winged Angel. and But their orchestra wasn't 
so big where they could have a choir singing the vocal arrangements on there. So what they did, they figured, you know, everyone in the audience here is diehard Final Fantasy fans. You know the tune and the melody of it. What we're going to do, we're going to put the words on the screen and you're going to sing along to it to create the choir vocals. And we did. And it sounded amazing. (laughs) It sounded just like hearing like there was a professional vocal choir in the background but it said it was the audience doing it it was a really fun thing to do to participate in that legendary song so yeah final fantasy 7 is a masterpiece it's a three disc collection of the soundtrack and for the most part i think almost every track delivers i just love the mood it creates when listening to it that the sound style for final final fantasy 7 is my favorite. It's one of my favorite variations of the classic Final Fantasy prelude theme. It's different, but yet I love it. So yeah, Final Fantasy VII is always probably going to be my favorite piece or pieces of music done by Nobuo Uematsu, who has many, many, <laughs> you know, legendary works as a composer in the video game field. So, but Final Fantasy VII for me personally stands above the rest. I just love it so much. You know, you brought up Final Fantasy fifteen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is it Ifrit you're fighting at the end? Um, yeah. Well, not yeah. the very last boss, but he's one of the last boss. Mm. Yeah, the, the the song that's playing when you're fighting him is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why I just thought of that. No, that um, was a cool boss battle, too. Yeah, yeah. It was a different visual look for Ifrit, too, which we never seen before. Like, a little more human, <laughs> not just this big monster. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I still got to play the Final Fantasy 15 DLC. Yeah, I haven't even touched that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I got them. Even... I got them all downloaded, so I just got to play them. Yeah. And they just announced, too, that they're not going to continue on with their other DLC plans. Why? I think they're just the studios closing down oh, that really? was working on them. Yeah, which is oh, wow. kind of a bummer. You would think that Square would do that in house, but. I know, you not. would think. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe it was a a company owned by Square. Oh, I, actually, I think it's like, yeah, like another division of Square. Yeah. But I guess, you know, wasn't worth it in the end. <laughs> I guess to put more resources in, into it. And the main director for Final Fantasy XV is leaving Square altogether just to start his own company. Oh. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're going to be seeing much more of that. But yeah. I, still love, I still love that game. <laughs> it was the driving around and then you can't drive around at night. Thing. That's right. Yeah, unless you're yeah. really strong to fight all the monsters. <laughs> or what you got? No, you got those headlights you can have. That I think would stop monsters from attacking you. Yeah, I, th- I think in one of the DLCs you get a monster truck or something. Or like yeah, tank. I think you're right. Yeah, <laughs> I never got that though. But yeah, yeah. And plus, too, like you start off the game, you're going to your own wedding, so it's not the, mm. <laughs> it's not the most <laughs> exciting thing. Yeah, but things happen yeah. <laughs> to make it exciting. <laughs> Um, for me, like I, I've said it before on this this podcast, uh, it's the Bioshock Infinite um, soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get the special edition just for that, <laughs> um, and it's great. I mean, like I said, it's it's all Amer- classical classic American songs that um, you know they they put a twist on it. Um, like there's a CCR song that shouldn't be in the time period of the game, but mm-hmm. you know there's time travel with the game and in the game. I mean, and uh, they stole the song from CCR, <laughs> and it's a barbershop quartet 
version <laughs> of, of one of their songs. So, yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to pick Bioshock Infinite. Well, so that made your list. I knew it had to be on your list if it made when we're talking about our favorite movie soundtracks. You, you liked it so much, yeah. you had to bring it up there. Yeah, so yeah. I, I knew it had to be on your video game <laughs> one, too. <laughs> but for, yeah, for me, for my number one absolute favorite video game soundtrack ever, Dane, you mentioned it earlier, but it is Ocarina of Time. And the Legend of Zelda series has some of the most iconic pieces of video game music ever. And I'll just say in music ever. I mean, that Legend of Zelda theme is just iconic and classic. It's fantastic. And of course, it was done by Koji Kondo, who did a lot of the classic Nintendo themes you know and love, like Mario. And But Zelda is his masterpiece. And in particular, Ocarina of Time. I just love that soundtrack so much. And like you, Dane, it's not wasn't the first game where I really noticed video game soundtrack for the first time because I did earlier, but I just loved how it was the first game that I, at least I played that really incorporated music into its gameplay. I mean, the way that you learn songs on your ocarina really blew me away <laughs> for the first time. I played like, oh man, this is awesome and something you never really did in the games I played. And Zelda games always had a flute that you would play a quick song. You wouldn't actually hit the buttons to play the notes. You would just select the item, hit it, and then a song will play automatically. And then usually the flute in Zelda games lets you fast travel to different locations on the map. And Ocarina of Time does that too when you play certain songs. But I just love the idea that you get to play the notes and it's like you're really playing the instrument. And I remember being obsessed with that where I would go online and people would figure out how to play, you know, other songs on your ocarina like i would play the imperial march the simpsons theme song on there <laughs> i would figure that out or download some notes that people would put on online and just play it on this ocarina so there's a lot of fun stuff you can do with that but man the songs you play on there are just classic i just love them so much from zelda's lullaby to the different dungeon themes of that where you could fast travel to like minute of forest is one of my favorites um serenade of water it's so great but my all-time favorite song off the soundtrack and this is one of my favorite video game songs in general is um the lost woods last soraya song um that thing is as catchy as a song could be <laughs> when i first heard it it's just i just loved it immediately and it captured that world of the kokiri forest that you're in so beautifully i think it just really immersed you into that world like a song never has before in a video game for me because uh, the Kokiri forest and just forests in general are like my favorite environments to play in fantasy type RPG games. Cause those usually have some, I just love how it looks being surrounded by massive trees and like the sun just barely shining through. And then you got fairies flying around these different mythical creatures. So I love the forest setting in RPG games in general, but when it has, you know, a really great music theme to go along with it. I think it takes it to another takes it to another level. And I felt the Lost Woods theme song did that in Ocarina of Time. It just made me love that environment and that location in the game even more. It's just so good. And there's been a lot of great variations of the Lost Wood Lost Woods theme song as well. And Super Smash Brothers Melee had a great version of it where it's just the theme being played on a flute. Then you got some great like uh electronic style remixes of it you got some rock remixes of it which uh you'll probably notice um as i'm gonna be putting as the intro but you probably heard it already obviously <laughs> um as you listen to this episode it's a rock remix of the lost theme uh, done by uh 
the only deer alive on YouTube is the YouTube channel where I got this theme song or this version of the Lost Woods done on electric guitar that's more rock inspired. I think it sounds really cool. So that theme song in general, you know, if Ocarina of Time wasn't the greatest soundtrack, but it still had the Lost Woods theme, I would still probably put it as one of my favorite video game soundtracks just based on that song. <laughs> I just love it so much. But the soundtrack in general is just amazing. I just remember putting the cartridge in for Ocarina of Time the first time, starting it up, and then you just hear that piano kick in with the opening title screen. And you see Link riding on the horse throughout the landscape of Hyrule, and the main title theme plays. It's just really, really great. And the actual Ocarina of Time title screen has piece of music that plays there is a variation of the first flute theme song you play in the very first Zelda game. So I thought that was a nice little callback to have <laughs> from the first Zelda game, but it ends up becoming the opening theme song for the greatest Zelda game ever and the greatest game ever, in my opinion. But <laughs> I mean, the songs just keep the soundtrack just continues as you play along. It, I just remember loving every bit of music. I was, as I played through the game for the first time, as excited as I was to get to the next point in the story or to the next um, area of the map I haven't been to before. One of the things that got me excited about that was to see what great new piece of music I'm going to hear as I enter a new location or go to a new dungeon. It's just, that's how great it is. Every aspect of the game, the music tied into it for me as far as really enjoying it. It's just so much great stuff to it. And I know Ocarina of Time is considered one of the greatest games ever. It just had its 20th anniversary and I've been seeing uh, tweets about it and there's been YouTube videos about it, why it's such a masterpiece and why it stands the test of time well, 20 years it, later. Tim? 20, yeah. Oh, man. But oh. as highly regarded it is as a game, I don't hear it mention the soundtrack anyway as one of the best soundtracks ever. It's considered a great soundtrack, but never as like one of the all-time greats, I think. At least in some of the people I talk to over the years in some lists I've seen. It's never usually considered like amongst the best of the best, but to me it is. And maybe it's just because I just have great memories of that game just blowing me away. Like I said, it's my favorite game of all time and this is just such a great experience playing it. And I think the music had a lot to do with it and just why I love it so much. So yeah, I got to give the my number one spot to The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And just the series in general is as some great soundtrack link to the past is another very, very solid one. Wind Waker has a great soundtrack and same thing with final fantasy. I wanted to just focus on one particular game, but I could easily talk about the series, both legend of Zelda and final fantasy. Their soundtracks are just, you know, amazing. And they're just, some of them are better than others, of course, but each one, you know, you're getting quality music that, you know, you could just, enjoy without playing the game i got all the soundtracks pretty much i bought all of them all on cds and of course now i just ripped them all put on my ipod and i listen to them regularly and i got a lot of different ones to choose from um, just amongst those two game series because uh they're just amongst the best of the best nobuo omatsu and koji kondo are outstanding music composers and their work's going to be remembered for a long time but yeah whatever i just got to pick one See, it's funny. I think Ocarina of Time is my favorite video game soundtrack ever, but I would say Final Fantasy has it's probably my favorite series of video game soundtracks over The Legend of Zelda, just because there's more variety and the tracks are diverse and different for almost every for each game, besides some of the main themes like the prelude and the main Final Fantasy theme being reused and the victory fanfare. With Zelda, as great as the soundtracks are for each game, you do get a lot of repeats and familiar themes so that's why i kind of give the 
edge just a little bit to the Final Fantasy soundtracks, but both are amazing. I just love listening them to those musics whenever I can, and I don't think that's ever going to change. They're just all outstanding pieces of music. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, um, I mean, of course, it was going to be uh, Final Fantasy and Zelda, right? Mm, yeah, it's not not a big but, shocker. <laughs> but I, I didn't know you could speak in such eloquent ways about about them because, to be honest, like I don't know, I I almost feel like the the music for Final Fantasy has become like j- just make it fantastical and it's okay. But I didn't know that that there was still subtlety in them. You know what I mean? Yeah, def- definitely older games. I. I really do think they lost some of their touch in the more recent games like 12, 13, and 15 because Nobuo Uomansu is not composing them anymore. It has lost a little bit of its magic. Did he retire or something? Yeah, I kind of took a step back, and he's having some health problems now, So, um, which is disappointing to hear. He said he's not going to – because he's mainly been focusing on touring with the Final Fantasy concert series. Oh, I see. So, Did did he do the music for the, the online ones? What is it? 12 and no 11 and 11 and 14 14? he didn't do 14 and he did do some stuff for 11 but i think that was the first one he actually had help from another composer to do some of the other tracks on there i see yeah how how do you do a soundtrack for a online game i know (laughs) you would have to keep on doing it right well unless they just you know have a set amount of tracks they know they want to do when they know the locations and then Maybe they'll reuse them if they want to create more content or whatnot. Or they just bring the composers back and say, hey, can you compose some new songs yeah. <laughs> or, you know, expansions and whatnot? Right. But, you know, yeah, he's a legend. I mean, he's just, his work speaks for himself and just everything, the themes he created and what he was able to do just on the basic NES system is just fantastic. So Now, the big question is, Tim, did he do the – soundtrack for the final fantasy movie the first one spirits within no i don't believe he did but really? yeah i'm gonna say no but I'm, I'm gonna look that up real quick because <laughs> i know a lot of people from the game as far as the main creator of it he directed yeah. the movie so some part of me thinks well did he ask nabuo Wamasa to do it but i'm pretty sure he didn't now let's see you know he's retiring or you said he was retiring and everything i wonder if he's gonna do the music for the uh, remake of uh, Seven. I mean, they don't have to do much, really. I, mean, I wouldn't remake. Yeah. Maybe just have the quality sound a little better, but I wouldn't change much of it, really. To be honest, right. I do a full remix. I just, as I said, I love it how it is. <laughs> and no, he did not do it. Which oh. I thought. Oh, Elliot Boldenthal dodged a bullet on that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have that blemish on his resume. So. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that because he could have elevated the movie with his great sound <laughs> soundtrack. So, Oh, that it, confusing story and boring I've only, story. I've only seen that once and never had a desire to see it again as big of a Final <laughs> Fantasy fan I am. Because <laughs> it did not feel like Final Fantasy. You remember the, the main character in that in that movie was supposed to be like a new digital star or something? Yeah. Uh, they, they tried to spin that. but Wasn't basically. he like on the cover like like a model, like a fashion magazine yeah, or something like, GQ like that. Yeah, like or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but hey, we still got Final Fantasy VII Advent Children and Final Fantasy XV Kingsclave, which were 
much much better Final Fantasy movies than yeah. <laughs> Spirits Within. Yeah, the the Final Fantasy VII movie was really good. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, That's technically now good. the remake could probably. I wonder if the graphics on that are going to outdo the. <laughs> visual quality of the movie because that's over 10 years old now <laughs> that's what I've always wondered like you know the the spirits within movie I haven't gone back and watched it as as you haven't but I wonder if it compares worse than today's CGI graphics uh, video game graphics um, or is it actually still better than that yeah, I don't know. I have a feeling the way games are looking now, it might not hold up to them, <laughs> I yeah. would think. Yeah. But Well, it's supposed I, to be, you know, like a game changer, right, that movie? I, I think it was visually. I mean, I yeah. haven't really seen anything look that realistic before in this animated movie, so it's just <laughs> not memorable in the story. It was just so forgettable. <laughs> it's confusing. It's confusing, yeah. Tim. I can't. You you can ask me the basic plot points of the Spirit Within. I got nothing. Same here. Yeah, I, I know there's a there's a woman in it, <laughs> and there's like these ghostly spirit creatures. That yeah, take, yeah. Uh, they, right? they take your soul or something. Like that. I don't know. Are, something. Aren't they like machine ghosts or something? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Some, some, something weird. Yeah, not anyway. any Final Fantasy connections to it. I think the only thing there was that someone in the background that you could barely see had like a Chocobo like logo yeah. on his shirt. <laughs> that was it. Was it uh, Sid in it? Yeah, but it was spelled yeah. different. I think it was spelled S-I-D instead of C-I-D. Oh, C-I-D, so. yeah. <laughs> so they couldn't even have that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so yeah, those are my top five picks, but want to give some honorable mentions to some other great soundtracks. Um, I mentioned before Kingdom Hearts by uh, Yoko Shimomura is great for all the games. Uh, one and two, Birth by Sleep, is all three of those are fantastic scores. That you know, what's great about it is not only creating new things for the characters, but going to Disney worlds and not using the classic songs you would know from those movies all the time, but creating new ones for those worlds was a feat in itself and she did a great job of composing great things for those Disney worlds um, just all on her own that became memorable and sometimes she would incorporate the main theme from Disney movies in there but for the most part she just created her own that fit really really well and then back to some more old school games uh, Super Mario Brothers the classic but Super Mario 64 I think is my favorite Mario soundtrack again it was one of those moments of playing the first game of the 64 the graphics looked amazing and the sound quality was you know, it was a Mario soundtrack heard like none before coming off of the 8-bit and the 16-bit one. So Mario 64 had a great soundtrack as well. And then believe it or not, Dane, what is, I think one of the best NES soundtracks that doesn't get talked about, talked about a lot is the Godzilla game. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's great 8-bit mini sounds, but catchy themes. I mean, the main title screen and then the levels throughout, it is really good stuff. You know how much I love my 8-bit MIDI soundtracks, and this is one of the best. I love the Godzilla one. <laughs> so anyone looking at you, you think about Godzilla, and I can't think of a single theme. Yeah. Right? So, so. Yeah, so when I think of Godzilla music, I think of the game. That's <laughs> that, was, that was the most like catchy and memorable Godzilla theme song I think you're going to hear is in that NES game. Speaking of Godzilla... Thanks for the traffic, Godzilla. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> that was funny. <laughs> you know, they make it a Godzilla versus King Kong movie. I go, yeah, they just started filming. Well, well I'm stuck in traffic because of production. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they close. I I don't take the freeway. Um, uh, but they closed down one. We have three free freeways, right? H one, H two, and H three. They closed down H three. That's uh, the all the traffic coming from the windward side of the island, which is where my parents live. Going to the west side of the island, you go through a mountain, right? There's a big mountain range, so you go through the mountain. I guess that's where they were filming. So they're filming on the H three, and I figure, you know, nobody's gonna come this way. I mean. Pfft. They're, they're gonna go a quicker way, but no, people were <laughs> people were going my way, and traffic was all backed up. I had to cut through, you know, different side roads and stuff to get around all the traffic. People were trying to get onto the to the other freeways, and ah oh, man, Th- thankfully it was only one week. I think it was uh, Thanksgiving weekend or week. So, uh, <laughs> hopefully the movie's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to write a lot writing on this movie now, Dane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it usually takes me, like, less than 20 minutes to go pick up my girlfriend from work. Um, took me 45 minutes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm, were you almost expecting to see Godzilla or King Kong? <laughs> Just based <laughs> how bad the cl- traffic was? <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, I I don't know, Tim. Because <laughs> like, oh, what you were describing no. it was like almost sounded like there were monsters roaming around and like everyone was trying to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a monster called Hawaii Roads. Yeah. <laughs> Hawaii traffic because I swear they close down one road and backs up everybody for miles. One road, nowhere near you, and it backs up. Miles, Tim. <laughs> yeah, that's what's going to have Godzilla and King Kong eventually team up in the movie. Yeah, why traffic? Yeah, <laughs> that's what they're going to battle against. Well, at least you know in in the movie, it, if they need a traffic shot, right? They yeah. got it. So <laughs> you didn't see any cameras like or drones with cameras flying overhead, getting those shots <laughs> of all the cars piled up. <laughs> well, I know the. Um, you see, I don't know why it was so bad this time. Because the first Godzilla movie, the the one with um, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, mm-hmm. um, I know they were filming down here, and they didn't block off any lanes of traffic. So I don't know why this one was so bad. I don't know why they needed yeah. one. Yeah. I wonder if the holiday weekend had anything to do with it. No, I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think there was any school either, so traffic should have been lighter. Yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, it, well, it reminded me of when they when they used to film Lost here, like they they used to film Lost on the road that I work on because it looks that, like that had to be fun every day. Yeah, it, <laughs> it looks like you're going into a deep tropical forest, right? Mm. Where, where I work, and um, they it, it was one lane in each direction, right? And so what they would do is they would close down the road. They would contraflow the traffic, right? But then every once in a while, they would have to stop so that, like, a truck can back up and get out of there or whatever. So, yeah, it's fun eating in your car. 
Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> after you get lunch, and then you you get back to work, and oh, lunch is already over. <laughs> Doesn't even feel like a break. I yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're sitting in traffic. Yeah. Well, did that turn you off of seeing any of those movies or TV shows? <laughs> like, no way the the traffic and time you're wasting because well, of these movie product or TV I, show productions. I'm not gonna lie. Maybe like uh, if you ask somebody from Toronto or Vancouver or LA, you know, um, it 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 does kind of like bring me out of it. I was like, that's that's not what that's supposed to be. Yeah. Like. <laughs> like like you, you'll see certain things, and then you'll be like, "No, that's that's that that's not a high tech build. That that's not a high tech airport. That's the um, convention center." Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that type of stuff. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll let you know if Godzilla and King Kong was worth the traffic you had to endure that day, Dane. Yeah. Once it comes out next year, <laughs> well, it comes out next year. Yeah, oh, okay. The first Godzilla sequel comes out this or twenty nineteen in May. So who's in the Godzilla versus uh, King Kong? Um, the only one I know is uh, Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things. She's in the sequel oh. that's coming out this year. And yeah. She's going to be in that one too. And can't remember anyone else who's going to be in that. I know they announced the cast, but no one who really stood out to me as like a big-time actor, at least not I'm remembering. But, but it, let's be honest. Good. I really don't care who's not oh, yeah. the human cast. I just want some good godzilla king kong and monster action really yeah <laughs> as long as the cast doesn't human characters don't annoy me and i get some good monster action that's all i care about with these type of movies <laughs> i don't need complex you know great character driven moments with them that's not why i see these movies for you go for the monster <laughs> yes yeah. like i said as long as they're not annoying that's they don't take me out of it and there's more human interactions more than monster stuff then that's where i can kind of get uh boring and make you think oh come on this is a monster action movie we're not here to see character family drama or whatnot <laughs> well hopefully it's good tim because the yeah. traffic wasn't very good yeah <laughs> like i said I'll, I'll let you know if it was worth it you know i'm just wondering i'm just trying to think back um because i remember when they were filming uh jurassic world the the second jurassic world uh-huh. and i don't think there was that much traffic Hmm. I wonder why it changes from like movie to movie. Oh, you know what? My sister lives down there where they're filming. I I think I think she she got stuck in traffic. So yeah, they closed on one road, and I don't get how it gets so bad. <laughs> yeah, like so it seems like it sounds like it depends. It's different for each movie too. Like yeah. <laughs> causes the amount of traffic that you have to endure. Yeah, Tim. I don't. If only hopefully Star Wars would... or a comic book movie would film in Hawaii, but it's not like they hardly do. <laughs> well, hopefully you you enjoy your movie, Tim. Thanks a lot. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> but anyway, um, I was going to say, how do we get onto the traffic? That's right. I mentioned the Godzilla game yeah, yeah. <laughs> with its great soundtrack. But the only two I wanted to mention too is the Star Fox series. That has a great soundtrack, especially the Super Nintendo one. That is a great, unique audio quality sound to it. That's I don't think any other Super Nintendo game had. It's it's really good. And then lastly, how can I not mention this on the Batman podcast? The Batman NES soundtrack. I mean, you guys hear me geek out about that one so much, and 
It didn't crack quite crack my top five, but it would definitely be in my top ten. You know how much I love that Streets of Gotham City theme song. It's it's fantastic. That whole soundtrack is one of the best in the 8-bit era. So I cannot talk about video game soundtracks and not mention the classic Batman NES one. So, yeah. So there you have it. Those are our top five favorite video game soundtracks. I I think I have an honorable mention. What's that? Uh, The Last of Us. Mm, Okay. Uh, I believe it's Gustavo Santa Santa Laia, I think. Um, you know, he, he, he does that soundtrack and then he does a bunch of movies. Okay. Um, it's a great, great soundtrack. It, it doesn't sound like he's... And it's how it should sound because, you know, it's post-apocalyptic. It doesn't sound like he's actually using instruments. It sounds like he's banging on a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> And he made his own guitar, you know. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah, I'm. I want to say the Last of Us soundtrack. Okay, cool. So I gotta play that game one of these days. Yeah, it's <laughs> really know, good. Tim. I know how great it is. Yeah. Don't don't spoil yourself on it. I think I might. Awesome. I I think there's certain things I might know what happened, but at the same time, the longer I go without playing it, maybe I'll forget. And when so, I do yeah. get to play it, it'll be brand new. <laughs> like I won't remember what happened. <laughs> Uh, the only time I, I've ever screamed at a television. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's it for our future topic. And as we continue some of our music discussions, eventually we got to do our TV one, which I think I've said before, Al, that's going to be really hard to pick our favorite TV themes <laughs> throughout the course of the years and how many TV shows there have been. So we'll eventually get to that at some point. But um, yeah, we can go ahead and move on to our actually this right now one piece of bit of news that we've had. And we'll get into some other stuff um, in Jordan's email that we have. But right now, the only one that I wanted to mention is that we got the full title for the Birds of Prey film. And it's going to be called Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. That's so great. I love this title. They they should have just called it not Birds of Prey. They should have just called it the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. I mean, when this first came out, I believe yeah. Margot Robbie sent an Instagram post of the script with that written on in like red pen or something. Everyone thought, okay, they're just showing that you know they read the script. They're probably going to production soon, and she was just joking around with that. But then um, I believe this Hollywood Reporter confirmed it. It's like, nope. That's the actual title. We can confirm that that's what it's going to be called. Like, okay. I mean, it's definitely a mouthful. That's for sure. It's not going to make for a great hashtag when you're talking about (laughs) the movie. It'll probably still just be hashtag birds of prey. But, I mean, it's funny. Again, I'm just going – I could be totally wrong on this, but I just really feel that Warner Brothers and DC are trying to make Harley Quinn like their Deadpool because this seems like something like a Deadpool sequel – type of title would have even though they're just going with deadpool 2 <laughs> but right. it seems like they're going for that type of humor and joke and i just for me i don't think that fits harley quinn and i think that's kind of the direction she is in the comics now which i haven't read which i guess they're taking that from but that's not how i view harley quinn i mean she's not that type of character she's a fun character she has funny moments but she's not deadpool words it's like she has to be they really have to the jokes and humor at forefront with her and it seems like that's what they're going for especially with this title so it makes me just think how much humor is going to be in birds of prey i just hope there's a nice balance 
of it because I really don't want it to be like DC's Deadpool with the Birds of Prey movie. I don't think it needs to be that. Harley Quinn can have some great funny moments, but I just I just don't want it to be Deadpool. I'll just say that. I mean, I hope they don't start doing fourth wall breaking stuff, kind of like how her animated series trailer was. Even that I wasn't too keen on, but given it being that it's an animated series, I can live with it. I just hope they don't make that jump into the actual movies, especially when you got characters even dying to see in live action for the first time in this movie, like Cassandra Kane and Black Mass. So I don't know. This makes me think of just the tone of what this movie is going to be. So it'll be interesting to see once we get that first trailer and if that title is any indication to what we could expect to see in the movie. I'm totally on the opposite side of that, Tim. Uh, <laughs> I say, I mean, that we're in a different stage of superhero movies now. Um, Marvel is taking over. Um, the Christopher Nolan Batman films are far, far in the past, it seems. Yeah. Um, I say just do what Marvel's doing. I mean, it can't get any worse. You know, so just throw it at the wall, see what sticks. <laughs> you know, um, it seems like Marvel knows what they're doing, right? Obviously. We yeah. all <laughs> love the Avengers movies. We all love the Spider-Man movies and Captain America's and Black Panther's and Deadpool's, right? So let's just do what they're doing because it seems to be working for them. And it seems like, I mean, who else is going to be playing this role? Yeah. Right? I mean, who who else in the DC lineup that's well-known, that's loved by fans, is yeah, going to well, be playing this role? I had know? someone in mind, but then you said well-known and loved by fans. Like, well, he exactly. doesn't fit that. I exactly. said, I would think Booster Gold would be that type of character. Yeah, he would fit that mold perfectly. Nobody knows about yeah, Booster I know. Gold. So, yeah, Harley Quinn. You already introduced her in a movie. Yeah, that movie didn't do good, but Margot Robbie and Harley Quinn were the only positive things about that. And, you know, Will Smith, I guess. Um, so, yeah, just just do whatever. Let the filmmaker make her own film. And let's see how this turns out. You know what I mean? Instead yeah. of Instead of, like trying to make her into Batman which is what they did with Superman which is what they do they kind of did with Wonder Woman um, I don't know I wouldn't say that kind <laughs> of Woman. kind of a little bit um, so just you know do something different you know I mean stop it with the, with all this oneness we, we gotta match the Zack Snyder universe that he created yeah, well, I don't yeah, think just, just, doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah, just forget about that. Let's take Aquaman in a different direction. Let's take Birds of Prey in a different direction. Let's, let's take the Harley Quinn movie in a different direction. You know? So, I'm positive on this. So. Man, this is the first where I'm, you know, you're on the more positive side of a DC movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bit of news, and I'm on the more cautious, like, let's wait and see type of thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean... I think we're at the point where it's let's just try something, you know, mm -hmm. instead of, you know, let's make it like the Zack Snyder universe where everything has to be overcast and dark and serious and Batman has to be, you know, a dictator. Right. You know, that let's forget all forget about all that. Let's make let the filmmaker do her own thing and let's go in a completely different direction with this movie that's not starring one of the big three 
Mm-hmm. You know? So. No, oh, yeah. Again, it's just the title. Maybe I'm drawing too much from that title and thinking what it could be, but <laughs> I don't know. That's why I'm just really curious to see once we start get our first footage from it and see what the tone of this movie is going to be because it really could be one of one or the other where it could be, you know, the more serious, you know, crime-based type of movie or it could be more on the humorous side too, with Harley Quinn being involved with it. So it's going to be interesting. So we'll see how it plays out. But I'm yeah, glad you're on the more positive side of it. Dan. I know. That is a once, nice change. Right? <laughs> yeah. And with this title, you know, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn, it seems like... I don't know how to say it, Tim. Like, it seems like they're not taking themselves super serious, which is a yeah. great thing to see. Because yeah. we have this sort of self-seriousness when it comes to Justice League and when it comes to Batman vs. Superman, which I recently rewatched. Oh, yeah, I actually rewatched it. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that that's what kind of you know, sort of changed it for me over this, over this Thanksgiving holiday. I, I rewatched Batman versus Superman. And I think, I think with this different direction and I hope they're going in a different direction and I hope it's not, I hope this birds of prey movie isn't worth saving the world from whatever, right? Yeah. From a witch or whatever. Yeah. I don't you think know? it would be, especially with black mask as the villain. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, because these type of characters don't need to have that type of world-saving scenario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I, I'm kind of actually hopeful for this, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great cast with it too. Like yeah. McGregor's Black Mass, you know, Margot Robbie's back. So, there's a lot going for it. Like I said, I'm just. Just don't want it to be their Deadpool. I'll just say that. <laughs> I'm not saying it doesn't have to have any humor in it or jokes. I just don't want it to be so outlandish like Deadpool. So yeah. And uh, speaking of Batman versus Superman, it contains one of my favorite um, scenes from any superhero movie ever. Tim. Oh wow. Yeah. Now should you say it now or save it for Jordan's questions in his email because it'll relate to that. Hmm, let me read his questions real quick because. Uh... Well, one of them is just what your top five favorite scenes of the DCEU so far. So if you're saying that's one of your favorite moments, I, I'd imagine. I will save it. I will save yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's probably one of the best scenes. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm interested to find that out. And we will find out in a few minutes because now we can get into Jordan's email in our conversation with Alex listener feedback section. And as always, Jordan chimes in with an email saying, hey, super friends, it's super sad to have lost Stan Lee. I love how you pay tribute to him by including his cameo in Teen Titans Go to the movies at the beginning of your last episode. That cameo is hilarious, and it made me smile hearing it at the beginning of the episode, just like it has every time I watch Teen Titans Go to the movies. Yeah, I still haven't seen Teen Titans Go to the movies. I definitely want to, though. I probably should now that it's available to rent. <laughs> so, But I was I was watching like tribute stuff to Stan Lee's, and there was videos about all the Stan Lee cameos. I saw that one and it really made me laugh. But I thought it would be the perfect one to use for our podcast. You got Stan Lee mixing it up with DC characters. It was perfect. So, yeah, it was definitely a great moment. He continues saying, I'm not at all familiar with Ella J. Basco, but as I always say, when an actor I'm not familiar with is cast in a DC role, DC has a super track record with casting. So I'm super confident Basco will be super in the role. It's super exciting to have the final major role in Birds of Prey cast. We just got over a month before it starts production, and I'm super pumped. First, 
Uh, first, we thought Young Justice Outsiders was coming in 2018, and then we found out it would, would be in 2019. Then on the DC Universe Digital Service original series release schedule, it looked like it would be releasing on December 28, 2018. But now we officially know that it will be releasing on January 4, 2019. After years of waiting, we are finally just over a month away from this as well, and I'm super excited. It premieres the day after Gotham Season 5 does, so that's quite the super back-to-back duo of DC premieres we've got to look forward to. The latest trailer they just dropped for Young Justice Outsiders looks super. I love the moment with three of the classic Outsiders together, Batman, Katana, and Metamorpho. My favorite Titan, Superboy, gets a lot of time to shine in the trailer, which makes me happy. And it looks like he and Dick will be working together a lot. Well, I'm super pumped about Dick's covert suit, which, while it's different in design, in concept, it reminds me of when he was wearing a covert suit working for Spiral during the New 52 uh, Grayson comics. I'm also super pumped to see him in the Nightwing suit in the trailer as well. Yeah, Young Justice is going to be here before you know it. And I really like that last trailer we got that you mentioned. And seeing those characters again is great. I like that moment where, like you mentioned, the original Outsiders with Metamorpho. There's that point of the trailer where Deathstroke is just shooting up Metamorpho. It looks like he's got him, but then <laughs> the bullets just flop right out. Deadpool's or Deathstroke's all, mm, you're like bulletproof. That's annoying. And <laughs> just great moments like that and character interactions. And then again, like you mentioned, a lot more of Superboy and Nightwing which is going to be just great to see more of because they just did a great job of bringing those characters to the screen with this series. And the fact we're getting more of that is going to be awesome. So yeah, January 4th. I didn't know it was Gotham was that premiering on that time too. I knew it was going to be early 2019, but I forgot it was in the beginning. So yeah, more DC stuff coming in the near future. I don't know if you saw these leaked images, Dane, but I believe the final episode of Gotham has been shot and they some leaked pictures came out of the actors playing Riddler and Penguin, full-blown Riddler-Penguin costumes, that. <laughs> yeah, really? Which looks like they're going to, you know, they've already said before there's going to be a flash forward where we're probably going to see Batman. And I, I'm kind of getting the impression that there's going to be like a quick montage of all the villains that we got introduced in Gotham. We'll be seeing probably Batman apprehend them or take them down and, you know, in the costumes that we are already know them to be in, as being familiar with Batman's rogues gallery. But I got to say, their costumes... Yeah. Did look pretty good, especially Riddlers and Penguins. Here's how I would describe it. Almost like a modern, updated version of the 66 series costumes. That's what it feels like. It's going for that, you know, almost golden age comic booky style visual look. Penguin in his top hats um, and his monocle that he has. Just the visual reminded me, like, if they were to make the 66 shows today, that's how it would look. So, I, for some reason, I think it fits and it looked neat. And it was just like leaked behind the scene filming shots, but it should look pretty good once I think it's we actually see the final episode. So, uh, I'm actually getting pretty excited for this final season of Gotham. As I've I said before, I've stuck with it for this yeah. whole series. I got to see how it ends. So, <laughs> I don't know. I saw that Bane costume and that did not that look I'm good. not excited for. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, there's no defending that in my opinion. That looked pretty bad. <laughs> they shouldn't even call him Bane. <laughs> I, wonder but, if, I wonder if at the end uh, Gordon's going to have a um, mustache. No, they got to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it won't be, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, This mustache, whole series was leading up to his mustache. <laughs> glasses, top hat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know about a top hat for Gordon. but <laughs> not, not a top hat. Uh, uh, just a regular hat. You know the yeah the circle brim and mm. you know <laughs> the uh, penguin definitely has the top hat like you said in that yeah, shot. So. Yeah. 
you know, be curious to see what they do with that flash forward with the Joker because uh, <laughs> the he's has the makeup and not quite the makeup. It's like almost like a pale white, not full blown white, <laughs> mixed in with the green hair. So we'll see if it actually looks like the Joker in the final episode. But so are they gonna get a different actor for Bruce? That's the question. Oh. I mean, if I think it's gonna be four. I don't know if it's like five or ten years, but somewhere around that time frame. So. Yeah, uh, I would imagine so. If it's like ten years, <laughs> we're actually calling Batman. He would need to, I think, be a little older than what the actor is now. Speaking of uh, canceled TV shows, did you see they canceled Daredevil? Uh, <laughs> yes, I saw Netflix. it. Man, was I bummed! <laughs> but it, it 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 makes me curious. I mean, I was bummed, but um, makes me curious. Are they gonna do something with, well, with these think- shows on, on the Disney Plus? These shows are not going to be on the Disney Plus, as far as I know, right? Because they're they were saying, shows. Yeah. yeah, I think they were saying the the Disney Plus service they wanted to be family friendly and no like R rated or mature content is going oh. to be on there, which Daredevil definitely fits that mature content <laughs> on there. But I think Disney and Marvel they just want the characters back to use on their own, right? So here's hoping whether it's at a because I would love a Daredevil movie again. Just if they have the same cast and gets his own movie, I think that'd be awesome. So I think they're going to use them again. I just don't know where. Hopefully it's a movie, and hopefully it's with the same cast because, man, Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio as Daredevil and Kingpin were just so good. <laughs> it's like it's hard yeah. to imagine anyone else in those roles now. So Marvel would be smart to keep using those actors. You know what I saw, Tim? What's that? I saw something that I would thought was going to be bad, but it ended up being really good, looking really good. And that is. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? No, <laughs> but I'm curious. It, it, it came out like these past couple of weeks. It's been all over Twitter. A TV show or a movie? Or? A movie. Mm, a new movie. Yeah. Lion King. What's come out. Oh, okay. So yeah. a trailer. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that no, was Lion- really good. Lion King looks amazing. I was yeah. blown away by it, man. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like how because I mean the, the the Lion King animated movie, you know, it's it's known for that first trailer that they put out, mm. and I like how they just let's not add anything or change anything. Let's just recreate that. Yeah, because it's so iconic. And yeah, yeah. I've seen a lot of complaints about it too. Like, what's the point of remaking the movie? You're just going to do it shot by shot remake of it. I was like, have you ever? seen the lion king story told in this way where yeah. even though it's not live action it's obviously cg but it looks right. lifelike so <laughs> where you could barely tell that it is cg like how cool is that to see like life looking animals lions and creatures doing what you saw in an animated movie to me that's amazing and it's really captured that i totally agree with you I'm, I'm glad that they're at least for this trailer anyway i'm sure they'll make some changes and do some different things in the animated mm. movie, but for that iconic beginning of the film, I think you have to do it sh- almost shot by shot because it's that iconic. You don't want them to change anything. You're just really cool to see it in a way you've never seen before, where it looks very lifelike. And John Favreau's knocking it out of the park, man. Yeah, I mean, Jungle I, Book was good, but Jungle or Lion King looked like it's going to outdo Jungle Book. Yeah, I thought it wasn't going to be very good, but then I saw that trailer and I was like, wow, that's that's actually really good. Yep, and. I'm so apparently I'd missed it, but I'm I'm so happy that they 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 got uh, James Earl Jones. 
Yeah, I mean that was a must. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every was other character is yeah, has been recast, but no one else can do Mufasa. Yeah. <laughs> James James Earl Jones has to, so <laughs> that's really cool. There's one thing you can't change. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm gonna go yeah. see it. I really Yeah, twenty nine 2019 is going to be a great year for movies, man. A lot of cool, cool stuff coming out. Yeah. <laughs> but Jordan continues with his email saying, going back to a movie from 1993, <laughs> he goes, I'm glad to hear you got to see Batman Mask of the Phantasm in theaters. Again, in your case too, Tim. My showing of Batman Mask of the Phantasm was empty too. And while I would have loved it for more fans uh, were there to get the super experience of seeing this film on the big screen, I'm just super pumped that I got the experience. I went and saw Superman the movie in theaters for the very first time this past Sunday, too. Like I said, I was going to in my last email, and what a super magical experience that was as well. I've heard so many fellow Superman fans of an older generation deny talk about how super magical it was seeing it on the big screen back in 1978, and now I feel fortunate to have gotten that experience myself 40 years later for its 40th anniversary. Like I said in my last email, that was something super high on my bucket list, and I finally gotten to do it after wanting to for so long. By the way, the other new DC animated movie you forgot to mention that Fathom Events gave a theatrical release in addition to Batman the Killing Joke and Batman Return of the Cape Crusaders is Batman and Harley Quinn. I've gone to see them all, and I'm super hyped to continue that with the death of Superman and reign of the Superman on January 13th. Yes, seeing Superman, the movie had to be really cool seeing on the big screen. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see that one, but that's still something I got like a classic movie i gotta see on the big screen so hopefully even if it's not for an anniversary or anything sometimes my local theater has what they call tuesday night classics just where i got to see batman 89 back in march so hopefully they'll do that for superman at some point too because I, I really got to see that on the big screen as well i'm totally with tim with regards to the watchman film i think it's super it features super performances especially jackie earl haley's um or let me say it features super performances, especially Jackie Earl Haley's super breathtaking visuals and it's super faithful adaption of a super comic book. I've actually even loved the hallelujah scene. It's really? one of my favorite scenes. In fact, wow. <laughs> yeah. He goes, as I love night owl and silk specters romance, I love that song. And I love how that scene both is a moment of night owl and silk specter finding happiness again. during a dark time in their lives. And at that same time, how it emphasizes Night Owl's flawed motivation for being a hero, just as we see the flawed motivations of all the other heroes in the story. I've got a funny story about that scene, as a matter of fact. In college, I took a course on graphic novels. To, I'm sure to no one's surprise, is my favorite class I ever took. The first day, the professor, the professor passed out pages from The Dark Knight Returns to the class, and I never geeked out so hard in school. Well, one of the books we covered in the class was Watchmen. We've got to talking about the Night Owl Silk Spectre scene in the comic, and I started singing Hallelujah. I'm the only one who laughed, and I'm not sure what to make of that, but I sure thought it was funny. <laughs> Maybe someone just didn't get the reference there, yeah. Jordan, but if I was in the class with you, I would have chuckled as well. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, I, I guess Zack Snyder knows how to pick out music. Um, I, I do actually agree with you that the, the times they are changing in the beginning is really good. <laughs> The, yeah. the credit sequence, and then um, I think there's the uh, Simon and Garfunkel song uh, during the um, the funeral scene for um, I almost called him the Joker, <laughs> 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 the the comedian, uh, and uh, yeah, Hallelujah, I guess. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, it's it's great music. It's just for for me <laughs> that was that wasn't a good scene. Ugh. I mean, it kind of gives me the chills in a bad way. <laughs> and not in the good chills way. <laughs> not, not in a good way. <laughs> well, at least, we know that's at least there's one person who's enjoying it. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Zack Snyder, you know, it wasn't for nothing. Not everyone thought it was a, a scene that fit or whatnot. So. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I think people are split on Watchmen. Yeah. Some people love it. People like me don't like it. Um, so I think people are split on it. So, yeah, just, I guess your typical Zack Snyder film yeah. <laughs> split. Yeah, yeah. Th- there, there is one movie I will say nothing good about that he directed. Uh, that's Three Hundred. I've actually never seen that one. Yeah, don't. <laughs> 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 I mean, I know people love it and stuff, and it, people think it's cool, but I don't know. I'm getting a slight hint of racism. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, so uh, I don't. I don't know, and it, it doesn't even make sense. Like, was there 301 Spartans or 299? Because like one, <laughs> one, th- there's one guy um, that, you know, he's telling the story. So was it 300, 301 or 299? <laughs> I guess 300 is a better title than 299 or 301. Yeah. 301. <laughs> well, 101 Dalmatian? Yeah. <laughs> they, wanted, they didn't want to be, I guess, lumped into that type of title. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Jordan continues the email saying, I am super pumped about the casting of John Cryer as Lex Luthor on Supergirl. I love how he's following in Michael Rosenbaum's footsteps as another primarily comedic actor taking on Lex, according to Kevin Smith's delivering a dark turn on the character, because Michael is primarily a comedic actor who used that background to inform his prim- primarily dramatic take on Lex, which resulted in both my favorite live action Lex and my favorite live action performance period of all time. John's casting as Lex is another example of DCs, and specifically Supergirls, who does it the absolute best out of all the current live-action DC TV shows, in my opinion, super legacy casting. I love John as Lenny Luthor in Superman 4 and find him super hilarious, and it's exciting that he'll be playing my favorite fictional villain of all time. Lenny's iconic uncle. Honestly, I can't think of anyone I'd rather see cast in the role other than Tom Welling, who was my dream fan cast due to his portrayal of Clark of Clark Luthor in Smallville's, Smallville season 10 and how super fun a twist it would be to see him play legs. But I knew he wasn't going to be gas, cast given he said previously he wouldn't play Luke, Lex on Supergirl. I'm super hyped to see what John brings to the role. Didn't uh, yeah. Tom Welling sort of like hint that he wanted to be in Man of Steel? Or, I don't remember him saying that. Brandon, that. Um, Brandon, Brandon uh, Ralph? Ralph, yeah. No, I'm not sure. I don't remember actually hearing that from any of those actors. But or, or was it Tom Welling for the Superman Returns? I can't remember. I know there was rumors yeah. about that, like or even the Justice League movie, the one by George Miller that was back in 2007. I know there was talk about maybe having him play Superman in that film, but mm-hmm. I think it was just in the rumor mill. <laughs> no, I don't know if that was actually something they considered or not. Right, right. But I know now that I think about it more, maybe they actually did consider him for Superman Returns too. I think. Now that I'm remembering, that might have been the case, but I'm not 100% sure. Maybe Jordan can fill us in on the next email yeah. if there was any truth to those rumors about Tom Welling being Superman in any of those movies. Because how I remember it was that he sort of like hinted in the press that, you know, he wanted to uh, play uh, Superman and Superman Returns. And then 
it came out that they were looking for somebody that looked like uh, Christopher Reeve. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Or something. Yeah, yeah, I think there might be some truth to that, actually. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I do think John Cryer as Lex on Supergirl is pretty cool casting. <laughs> it is funny to think that he was Lex's nephew in Superman 4, and now he's going to be playing him in Supergirl. But Supergirl has been really good this season. I missed the first few episodes, but I got into it like around the fourth episode, I believe. But been really good with what they're doing as Sam Witwer as a Agent Liberty has been a great villain. And then they threw in Manchester Black, who was a Superman villain. I was excited to see them or see portrayed in the series. And he's been done well. So now that they're going to bring Lex into the mix, it should be hopefully this good season should continue on. Anything with Sam Witwer is good. Yeah. <laughs> he just always brings it in his roles. So. Yeah. <laughs> then Jordan continues saying, how about that final Aquaman trailer, Super Friends? And Jordan, this might be the only time I do this in one of your emails, but I purposely did not watch that trailer <laughs> because I felt we've I've seen enough footage for Aquaman and we're just a little under a month away when that trailer came out. So I didn't want to watch it and see any more new footage, but I've heard it is amazing. And I know you kind of I had to stop when I first read your email <laughs> because you were describing certain moments that I want to keep away from. So I'm actually going to skip that for this portion, but I know you loved it and everyone I've seen who saw that recent trailer said it looks awesome. And yeah, I just can't wait to see it because tickets were on sale. I got my Amazon prime exclusive early screening ticket, uh, booked for, uh, the Saturday before, uh, the Thursday screening that comes out, which is December 15th. So I'm super excited about it. Even without seeing that trailer, I can't wait to see it. I'm hearing great things. It's gotten pretty positive reactions on social media and Twitter. I think the review embargo is still out for a week or two, but seems to have you having a good buzz so far. So just need to see the movie now. <laughs> so I, I've seen it. The last trailer we got, that was like five minutes. That was good for me. It's like, man, it looks great. They're showing a lot of footage here. I don't need to see any more. And I think there's more awesome stuff in this most recent trailer that I'll watch after I see the movie. <laughs> but it was pretty cool though of James Wan. Cause I think someone, said to him, man, you guys are showing too much footage. It was like, save some for the movie. But then James Wan responded saying, what's in this trailer is like not even close to what other stuff you haven't seen in the movie. So that was good to hear, but still didn't want to watch it. <laughs> still want to save it for when I see the movie because we're just so close now. Um, but Jordan continues saying, we already knew about Smallville's Kent Farm being used in Elseworld, which I geeked out super hard about on the previous email to you guys. But now Stephen Amell has teased that there's another Smallville treat in Elseworlds that made even him, who's only seen a couple of episodes of Smallville, jump out of his seat. If it did that for someone who isn't a massive Smallville fanatic like I am, I can only imagine I may super likely faint seeing whatever he's talking about. I already thought I might faint during Elseworlds just seeing Smallville's Kent Farm again, as the feeling I've gotten seeing it just in the images and the last promo we have gotten has been super extraordinary and similar to the feeling i get whenever i watch the smallville episode homecoming and see the smallville high again we're so close to elseworlds now nine days as of my writing of this email and my excitement level is through the roof speaking of the latest elseworlds promo besides the glimpse we get of smallville's kent farm which is my number one favorite moment from it my other favorite moments are seeing superman finally with some of the non-earth 38 arrowverse heroes and the shot of the black suit superman at the end it sounds like someone, I was thinking John Wesley Ships Barry Allen, flashed, t was talking with Dr. John Deegan, but my super friend Stephen Marshall thinks it's more likely he's talking to either the Monitor or Black Suit Superman, who messed with the 90s Flash's Earth, which is super intriguing. 
I hope Tina and Julio are okay. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for Elsoil. It's looking really, really good. That last promo that you're mentioning, it was great. I mean, just seeing Superman interact with Arrow, with Green Arrow, the Flash is great. But then also too, there was that promo that featured Batwoman, and just hearing Green Arrow and Flash say the words Batman because they do say Batman. Green Arrow's all the Batman is just a myth and a legend. And then once uh, Flash sees Bat, or I should say. Barry Allen in the Green Arrow costume. <laughs> Once he sees Batwoman, he goes, you're not Batman. So I just love hearing them say the name Batman in this universe. Like, finally, we're just getting cl- that much closer to maybe Batman finally showing up here. But, yeah, it's going to be awesome just a week away. And uh, we're going to be talking about that in our next episode as it will air before uh, we record our next one. So definitely looking forward to that. And Batwoman continues to look awesome. Her seeing her suit in motion it looks really, really good. I don't know if you've seen any of those trailers for it, Dane, but on the Batwoman front, and just how she looks visually, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I saw a picture not not the first picture we got, but another picture of um, I forget her name. Uh, Ruby Rose. Ruby Rose, right? It's so easy, Ruby Rose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in in the bat the the Batwoman suit, and she looked really good. So. Hopefully it's good, Tim. Yeah, I'm getting excited for it. I mean, everything I've seen about it looks really, really good. So hopefully it all comes together for a great three-episode arc with these characters. And I am afraid to ask, but so Flash is going to be Arrow and Arrow is going to be Flash. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, and it seems like they're aware of it, but nobody around them is aware of it. Yeah, I see. So, yeah, so, so something you have to do, obviously, with, you know, the monitors in it. So, you know, there's going to be screwing around with the different universes and that type of stuff. So, uh, to me, it's, it's going to be a fun to see him. I hope it's not all three episodes. I hope by the time we get to the last one, they're back to their normal selves and their costumes. Because I do want to see, you know, Stephen Amell playing Green Arrow and Grant Gustin playing Flash mixed it you know, mixing it up with Superman because <laughs> I would hate it to be if it's the only time they're interacting with Superman is when they're in each other's costumes. I want to see him in their proper superhero roles with Superman. I think that'd be great. So, which I have a feeling it will, but yeah, just a week away. So we'll be sure to be talking about it on our next episode. But as always, Jordan has a couple of questions to wrap up his email. First one, he says, does Otis uh, Donji, the actor playing teenage Arthur and Aquaman look a bit like Heath Ledger to you guys? In the quick shot we've gotten of him, he does to me. Yeah, I didn't quite get that vibe, Jordan, seeing him in the trailer and then just seeing other images. I didn't get the Heath Ledger look. I mean, to me, he looks like a great young Jason Momoa, so, <laughs> which I guess is the most important thing since he's playing a young Aquaman. But can't say he reminded me of Heath Ledger. Yeah, I was going to say the same exact thing. Yeah. <laughs> looks like a good young uh, Jason Momoa. So, yeah. yeah maybe seeing him more in the actual movie maybe we'll get that vibe but as of right now i no, i didn't really remind me anything of heath ledger but his second question is what are your top five favorite scenes in the dceu so far mine are number five the battle of smallville and man of steel the town of smallville means so much to me so seeing it wrecked is super emotional for me and i love how it ends with colonel hardy embracing kal-el as an ally number four the battle of metropolis and man of steel it's my favorite live-action fight scene of all time, so I love how super epic it is. Hans Zimmer's score and how it ends with Superman killing Zod, but being emotional and distraught about the fact that he had to do so. Number three, Clark having a vision of Jonathan and Batman v Superman. 
it's a super beautiful homage to when Clark has a vision of Jonathan in the Smallville episode Lazarus. I love how it references the Langs, and I love how even in death, Jonathan is always there to give Clark the advice he needs. Number two, Clark saving the school bus in Man of Steel. I love seeing Lana stand up for Clark and then seeing Clark be a hero despite the potential consequences and also go back for Pete despite that he was bullying him, as that is precisely the kind of hero Superman is. The number one, Superman's first flight in Man of Steel. This is my favorite scene in the history of live-action cinema, as it always gives me goosebumps, makes me smile, and lifts me up. I find it super inspiring and beautiful. I love Jor-El's speech inspired by All-Star Superman, and I love Zimmer's music so much. Yeah, some good choices on there, and one of them is on my list as well, Jordan. So going from number five to number one, um, my number five pick is going to be not really a scene, but a sequence, and it's going to be the Krypton opening sequence in Man of Steel. Man, I love that sequence. It's how it kicks off the movie, and seeing Krypton like never before is just great. It's so much better than you know just the frozen landscape we got in the Richard Donner Superman film. I just love the how it looked and just how it's pretty much we're seeing a sci-fi film in the beginning of a Superman movie, and it just fits so beautifully with you know the Superman story we all know and love, and just seeing Krypton. Um, in a way that we've never seen before with different alien creatures. I love the like the dragon flying creature that Jarrell flew on. Uh, it was just great visually. So I just love that whole entire sequence. And the fact that it was in a Superman movie just made it even better. Then number four, I'm going to go with Superman fights the Justice League in Justice League. That's probably my favorite move, moment of the whole movie of Justice League. Um, we knew probably, the, you know, the original tension was to have them at least for a part of it, Superman, who was kind of evil, but in the old, there was a whole debate about for the whole first part of the movie in Zack Snyder's plan, Superman was supposed to, be, supposed to be evil, and then in part two, he would become good again. But I liked how it was played out in the film we got, where just that one sequence, because we didn't need a whole, you know, half of the movie where Superman is evil and they have to work to get him back. But I thought it was done well here. But just seeing him take on the Justice League and seeing his powers unfold was just really awesome. Something we've never got to see before in a live action DC movie. And it was just really cool. That moment of Flash trying to, you know, use a super speed to get him from behind as he's holding uh, Aquaman and, or is it Wonder Woman and Cyborg or Aquaman and Wonder Woman? I can't remember who. But um, the way Superman just turns his head as he's able to keep up with Flash's super speed was just awesome. So just seeing his powers on display taking on the Justice League was great. And then number three, I'm going to go with No Man's Land sequence in Wonder Woman. I mean, that's I think one of the, you know, best crowd pleasing moments in any superhero film is just seeing Wonder Woman go into that no man's land area and just take down all those soldiers and just every they're firing everything they had at her and it's having no effect. And she's just marching on, taking them down. It was just fantastic. And I know for a lot of people, such an inspiring moment. So that's definitely got to be up there. And the number two is one you had on here, Jordan. It's actually I could say the entire sequence, but more specifically, when Superman kills Zod. I know it's one of the more controversial ones, but I've said it before. How I think I just love how that moment uh, encompasses like the emotion Superman has there. I mean, he's fighting to protect his adopted home of Earth, but yet he has the last person, the fate of the last Kryptonian in his hands. And is he going to sacrifice that for his adopted home like against his birth home? And he chooses his adoptive home. And just the pain he had of killing Zod knowing that he had to how much it, it hurt him to do so but and, and how it played out to how we had to save uh, the people of Earth instead and the music that plays in there 
is you know one of the more emotional bits of music that Hans Zimmer had for the Man of Steel score, and it's probably my favorite piece of it from the already outstanding soundtrack. So you compass all that in. One thing I was hoping for as the movies moved on was that that would be the point that made Superman have his no kill rule, but they never really expanded on that. And so we're kind of hoping they would, but still I'd like to think in my head canon that that is where Superman becomes, you know, to have that no kill kill rule in the DCEU. So um, that's my number two. And then number one is going to be the Batman warehouse fight sequence in Batman versus Superman. Besides just being an amazing action sequence with seeing Batman fight like we've never seen him before in live action, I really do love the reasoning behind it where he's there to save Martha Kent doing it for Superman. It just adds a great narrative to an already an impressive fight sequence. So, yeah, that was probably always, always still or <laughs> Man, I can't talk on this episode. I've been bumbling over words all episode. But I said that one always will stand out probably as my favorite from the DCEU is that just being the huge Batman fan that I am, it doesn't get much better than seeing Batman kick butt trying to save the mother of his best friend. So I love that sequence. So, Dane, now I'm curious to see um, your new favorite moment from the DCEU and just I think you said the favorite comic book movie in general. So, yeah. um, and Jordan actually mentions it in one of his um, his choices. But um, mm, okay. you know, starting from five, it's going to be the um, uh, what Jordan calls the Battle of Smallville because there mm-hmm. is so much great product placement in so- that scene. <laughs> John Deere gets in there, Sears. U-Haul, IHOP, <laughs> um, am I missing, uh, the National Guard, um, hmm. am I missing anything, Tim? Uh, probably some of the cars, <laughs> some, probably some of the cars that you see, uh, there's so much great product placement, I mean, it, it, totally creative on the, the, the product placement in that scene. Uh, number four is, which gonna, I gotta say real quick, I know a lot of people don't product placement annoys them it never really bothers me i never quite understand no i the... love it i love it too i, I love <laughs> it in films like but i always hear it as a criticism for people oh i like this movie but the product placement took it out of it like unless you're doing like a lord of the rings or star wars type movie where <laughs> that would really take you out of it like seeing it in a realistic movie set in our world like man was why not have real stuff there right? i don't see what the big deal is but <laughs> Yeah, that's why, you know, I don't know if you heard this report, Tim, but you know the standalone Batman movie? The the, the final chase scene is going to be in a Pepsi factory? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. There's going to be, you know, Batman's going to throw the Joker through a bunch of Pepsi. <laughs> it, it, instead of Joker falling from, you know, the rafters into a vat of chemicals, he's going to be falling into a vat of <laughs> Pepsi. Oh, man. <laughs> Wow, um, but then, <laughs> I love Pepsi though. So <laughs> it would be the worst thing in the world. Um, my number four is going to be uh, hmm. uh, the the um, the No Man's Land uh, fight scene from Wonder Woman. Number three is going to be um, the the Batman warehouse fight scene. Number two. Hmm. My number two would be. Is it going to be uh, not quite your one that just became one of your favorite moments? Uh, <laughs> no, no, my, number one. my my number two is going to be uh, when Batman rescues Martha. 
because that's the one scene that's never really made any sense to me. I mean, Clark can hear Lois, I don't know, breathe when he's on the other side of the world, right? But then he mm-hmm. can't go save his mom. Well, he had to stop Lex, too. I think... Yeah, but he, I he he saves Lois like eighteen times yeah. in two movies, and he. I really think this is something Batman really wanted to to do to make up for trying to kill Superman. <laughs> I think it's probably something something he had to do. I say, like, wow, I guess you don't care about your mom then that much. <laughs> I wouldn't I say know. that, but <laughs> I mean, if that was if, maybe if, if I was Superman, Tim. I would go after my mom before I went after. If anything, Lois. you maybe could make the argument that he trusted Batman a little too quickly after fighting <laughs> like that, but uh, I guess I don't know. But uh, my my number one is probably my favorite scene in any Batman superhero genre film ever, and that's going to be um, Kevin Costner in Batman v Superman. Wow! Seen, really? Yeah. It's, I know what they were trying to do, Tim. It was supposed to be like, like uh, Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs, where she's talking about, you know, this traumatic thing in her life or her childhood, where she could hear the the, the lambs screaming before they were slaughtered, and she delivers it really well. It's written really well because she's a great actress, right? So, but this one, it's like. Okay, so you you did some stuff. You had your hero's cake, and <laughs> the 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 Lang horses drowned. But you had your cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay. So so so, what's the point of this story? Yeah, to be honest, I've never really much cared for that sequence. It didn't yeah. get the point across that I was, like you said, like I think it wanted to. So, <laughs> so it's okay if people die or horses die as long as you find a man or a woman to fall in love with? <laughs> yeah, so... Okay. <laughs> so it's not but, really one of your favorite sequences. <laughs> no, no, it's my favorite sequence, Tim. But not for the a, right a, reasons, it doesn't I make sense. B, <laughs> Demi Costner, I know he's a great actor, Tim. You know, Dances with Wolves, uh, Waterworld. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he just does not pull that off, and it's written terribly, and... It's so great. It's ah, uh, I, I I hear that in my head whenever I'm like, oh, I need to make a big decision here. <laughs> but the horses drowned while I ate my cake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's my number one. It doesn't make it makes zero sense. Kind of slows the movie to a dead stop there. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, it's not I was gonna very say, well. Yeah. I was going to say, because if that really was your favorite sequence, I was going to say, man, I have to disagree with you on there. But you're saying it's pretty much why I feel I never really, that scene never really worked for me. And it was a waste of bringing Jonathan Kent back when yeah. we came across how to play him again. I mean, I know what they were going for. They they were going for that wizened old man giving yeah, advice to, to the, the child. But. Yeah, and, to inspire and, him to, you know, go back to being Superman. But yeah, and it's, yeah. It's, it's supposed to come off like what I, or at least what I think, it's supposed to come off like 
Jodie Foster talking to Hannibal Lecter about, you know, the when she was a kid, how she loved the, the lambs and, you know, she didn't know that the lambs were going to be slaughtered to be sold and she could hear them screaming. It was traumatic for her, right? And she can hear, still hear the, the lamb screaming, right? Because she's traumatized by it. I, I know that's what they were going for, but it just does not work at all. Yeah. And it's not written as well as, or acted as well as Jodie Foster did it. And I mean, yeah. it, it shows because she won an Oscar for, for that movie. And Batman vs. Superman got like a 20 percent on 29 percent so all because yeah. of that one scene <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. that that's that's my favorite scene in any batman movie ever made or superhero movie uh it's so great it's it's awkward um yeah <laughs> that's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, well, sorry, Jordan, to rag on your number. I think it's your number three. No, pick. no, no, no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ragging on you, Jordan. You're totally legitimate in your choices in, in that choice. Um, don't let what I say take anything away from what, what you think. Um, but I, I just totally love that scene. Yeah, but, 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 but don't, don't, you know, don't listen to, don't listen to me. <laughs> I'm an old man already. <laughs> yeah, if I got the point across to you that it meant to, then that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. J- just as long as you understood it in a different way and y- you think it's great, that's all good, man. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to wrap up Jordan's email. As always, he ends it with Klana Forever. So thank you, Jordan, as always. Look forward to your next email. And now we can go ahead and go into our comic book reviews. And this one is going to be Batman 59. And as always, got to throw out the spoiler warnings out there as I'll be getting into the nitty gritty in this issue and all that goes down in it. So if you haven't read the issue yet, you might want to hold off. And for our rating scale for this episode, Dane, I was thinking, how about movies that causes you to be stuck in traffic for hours and hours? (laughs) It's either that or um, Jordan choices that Dane... Um, inadvertently bashes even though he doesn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll pick one or the other. Maybe both by the yeah. time I'm done with the review. <laughs> <laughs> my bad, Jordan. My bad. I didn't... <laughs> I didn't mean it. But yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Batman issue 59 is continuing on the Tyrant Wing story arc where last it picks up uh, right where the last issue ended where Batman's confronting Penguin uh, about the murders of those women that are connected to Mr. Freeze. At the same time, it also starts with him going into Arkham to confront Bane. Because this issue pretty much goes back and forth with Batman talking to Penguin. And then Batman doing an interrogation with <laughs> Bane. A very brutal interrogation. So, yeah, it kicks off with Penguin kind of telling Batman what he doesn't want to believe. But yet knows it's true how Bane is orchestrating Everything, those murders, the connection with Mr. Freeze, the hit on Alfred. Penguin's letting it all out, letting it know that he's been working for Bane and Bane you know, has been doing this to you for quite a while. And Batman doesn't want to believe it, saying he's been locked up in Arkham. Um, it's a lie. I've seen him in there. So to go to see if Penguin's true, telling the truth, he goes to Arkham himself. But there's a bunch of police guards standing in front of the cell just saying, you know, they can't let him pass. And then this is Batman unhinged and not caring about anything here after everything that's happened to him get dick getting shot 
Catwoman leaving him, like I said, the hit on Alfred that just happened recently, the the jury duty that he had hey, to Tim, go to. Can, can yeah. I interrupt you really quick? Is, uh, what's up? Is, is Jordan on Twitter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What what's his? He's back. Twitter he had to create account? a new account. Yeah, yeah. But but what's his new uh, Twitter uh, handle? No, let me look that up real quick. Yeah, because he didn't friend me. Thanks <laughs> a lot, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, that, that, that's just his revenge for what I just said. Oh, yeah, now he's really yeah. not going to follow you. Yeah, after years, exactly. but he's, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, before I remember, it used to be at BatFanJordan. Yeah. Now it's at SmallvilleFanJV. Okay. I'll go friend him now, even though he won't friend me back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at um, SmallvilleFan. Smallville. Smallville. Fan. JV? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I got him. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was important. You had to make sure you're following each other on social media. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll allow that interruction. <laughs> oh, he do- he, Tim, he does follow me. I just never follow Oh, so you're the jerk here. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm sorry, Jordan. I'm so sorry. Man, Jordan's not going to write in anymore after this. I know. After you're bashing his number three pick. You, you never followed him after he followed you. <laughs> Real good, Dane. Uh, you know what this podcast is this episode is done already let's just say the the end stuff and just leave it as be because i'm not so sure i i I can say anything without bashing jordan yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah you'll just have to remain silent i guess for the last minute or so (laughs) (laughs) but back to the issue of batman like i said he's it's like batman unhinged and this you know really not caring about <laughs> what anyone thinks or that tries to get in his way. I mean, he takes, he threatens the police officers here just like then throws one of them against the wall, just telling them to let him pass. And they do. And he responds by saying that was the wise choice, but man, Batman interrogating Bane here. This is like, I kind of like that, you know, we got the classic interrogation scene in the dark night. This is what it would be like if, you know, Joker didn't tell Batman where Rachel and Dent were. And he just let loose on him to get that information because Batman lets loose on Bane here like we've hardly seen him ever do. And Bane is playing the innocent man here because he was just saying, you know, he's, he's acting all scared and frightened. He's cowering in the corner of the cell, his hands covering his head, just saying, you know, like, I can't help you. Like, don't hurt me. Like, and he's having like these traumatizing flashbacks to his childhood from his moments in prison calling out for his mother saying, you know, what's happening again? Like, mommy, mommy, like, don't let him hurt me, that type of stuff. Like, where's my mommy? But Batman's not having it. <laughs> I just love her. Batman knows it's an act. He throws him against the wall. He starts pounding him with his fist. I mean, he's just really laying into it on here. He just had it because, like I said, Penguin's confessing all this stuff to him. Batman reluctantly has to accept that he's telling the truth because he pretty much says, you know, hey, Penguin, if you're telling me all this, I know you're lying because pretty much you're going to be dead. But then Penguin reveals to him, you know, death is kind of what he's looking for now after losing uh, that woman that he loved, Penny, and wants to be with her in death. So he pretty much doesn't care if Bane ends up killing him. And that's how Batman realizes, you know, he's probably telling the truth here because this is pretty much unpenguin like for him to be doing that. But he gives that reason that convinces him. And then, like I said, Batman just lets loose on Bane. It, I just love how he goes through all the things that. Um, the list of things Bane has done to him, like I said, the 
framing of freeze trying to kill alfred those women and then what really sets batman off and i love the dialogue that tom king used here he doesn't say he uses it uh he tried to kill nightwing he goes you shot my boy and he just you know shouts that out as he kicks bane in the face and then as he continues to beat him up uh gordon enters the room and i kind of liken this also to the dark knight interrogation sequence where this is what would happen if joker didn't tell him the locations of rachel of harvey and somehow Gordon got to enter the room <laughs> regardless of Batman putting that chair against it. Because this is probably what Batman would do. Uh, if Gordon enters the room and he's telling him, like yelling at Batman to stop and Batman's telling him, no, this is all an act. You, know, you got to see this is an act. And then when Gordon is not hearing it, he's telling Batman, you need to calm down. Batman just tells him, let go. And he just punches Gordon right in the face. And he just yells at him. He's like, I know what Bane is doing here. And then Gordon's like, that's it. He goes, you know, get out. <laughs> he goes, you need to leave now. He goes, if you don't, I'll give you a head start. But if you don't, I'll send the GCP da- GCPD after you. I'll even send the Justice League after you. And, you know, this sets Gordon off. He goes, I'm, I'm sick of you. you know, get out of my sight. <laughs> so everything's coming to a boiling point here. And Batman does have some remorse. He, like, takes a step back and he just says, you know, wait, Gordon, you know, he doesn't say I'm sorry, but, you know, that's what he's feeling. So, he leaves. Things are a mess for Batman. He's losing everyone. The only person he really has right now is Alfred as an ally. You know, Dick has been shot. Um, Gordon now, his relationship with him is strained. So things are going according to plan, as, or to Bane's plan, I should say. And as we the issue ends with Bane kind of getting reeled out in a hospital bed, all beat up, bruised, swollen eyes, swollen mouth. But then you just kind of wonder, okay, is something going on here with Bane? You know, you know he's behind this, but who is this person Batman's beating up? Is it like someone impersonating Bane? But it ends up being that it is Bane because at the very last page we see him smiling. He's all bruised up, just you know, realizing everything's going going according to his plan. So more great stuff here. I just love how you know unhinged Batman here is here. Just you know, after everything that's happened and. I do like the little tangle that it's throwing in with his relationship with Gordon here, how, you know, we've never seen Batman actually punch Gordon. It was a pretty powerful sight to behold, knowing just how strong a relationship they had as friends and now seeing it pretty strained like this. It's going to be interesting to see if it can be repaired and how long that will take. So good, more good stuff here from Tom King. So I'm going to give this issue four out of five. Oh, man, I forgot <laughs> the version you said, Dane, about of Jordan's uh, question, but Jordan, I'll guess, yeah, just do the the uh, traffic one. <laughs> so okay, four out of five movies that causes Dane to be stuck in traffic in Hawaii, and questions that Jordan asked that Dane bashes unapologetically. So. <laughs> unapologetically, <laughs> I I'll show you that two times that Dane doesn't follow Jordan on social media when Jordan follows him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Jordan. Let this be my apology. I'm sorry. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I'm I'm crying right now. If you can't hear it in my voice, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, man. Yeah. As you're apologizing to Jordan Dane, you can go ahead and <laughs> get, take it to the outro as well. <laughs> All right. Just just follow Jordan at Bad yeah. <laughs> Smallville fan Jordan or JV. <laughs> what is it uh, at Smallville fan JV? Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, go to the batmanuniverse.net facebook.com slash batmanuniverse twitter handles at batmanuniverse shows twitter handles at batfanspodcast 
Tim's Twitter handle is at TimG311. I'll say it just in case, Tim. <laughs> you can't offend anyone else on this episode. <laughs> and um, my uh, Twitter handle is at DanesBanana. Uh, and you can email the show at BatmansWithoutPants at gmail.com. So, like we say at the end of every single episode today. We love each and every one of you with all of our bat and apologetic hearts. Apologetic, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. See you next time, everybody. Yeah.